Hi, I'm Kyle. Hi, I'm Brad. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself, Kyle, and uh, sometimes a guest, uh, take a look at movies and introduce them to each other. Um, and in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of April, and on the show we're doing a special event month we've been calling Stay the Fuck Inside, um, wherein we take a look at films uh, that involve the concept of isolation, which is something, unfortunately, we're all kind of going through at the moment. Um, and to kind of end the month very strongly, to, to you know do things in a bombastic fashion, uh, we've invited Brad uh, from the Cinema Speak podcast to join us. And uh, Brad, do you want to introduce yourself to the folks at home? Yeah, well, I'm Brad. Uh, thanks so much for having me, you guys. I'm really excited to be here. I mean, it's the perfect time because, uh, I mean, I'm stuck inside, so I got nothing else going on. So I might as well, uh, you know, talk Dawn of the Dead, um, which I guess I don't know if you introed that's what we're talking about or not yet. But um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry to beat you to it. But, yeah, I am uh, host a show called Cinema Speak, and uh, we're a weekly podcast. Usually focus on new releases, but, uh, you know, with everything being canceled and stuff, we've been going doing some retro reviews lately, uh, some stuff that's new and on streaming and on VOD. So our show is a little bit different now than it was before uh, everything shuttered down, but uh, we're still having a good time and uh, I'm just I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you again on the show, Brad. Uh, this is the first time Brad is on one of our regular episodes. Uh, he, of course, joined me on a uh, special segment that I've been calling Tales from the Shelf. Um, I'm very much hoping we can do another one of those, maybe maybe like a monthly thing or something. Yeah, I think that'd be good. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, but yeah, Brad is uh, making a pretty solid debut here, already stepping on my toes, introducing Sorry me about that. prematurely. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, in case you weren't aware, uh, Kyle had the pick. Uh, for this week, the, the conclusion of Stay the Fucking Side. Um, and his choice was uh, George Romero's uh, Dawn of the Dead from 1978, Kyle. And uh, how, how did you come about deciding on this movie? Well, this is one that I haven't seen, and it's one I've had on my list to watch for a long time now, uh, especially after <laughs> watching the uh, Snyder uh, Dawn of the Dead remake, and then finding out later, like, oh, you know, that's a, that's a remake. I thought it was just the OG. And like, oh, I need to watch the original. Um, and this seemed like a good time to watch it, um, uh, because everybody in this movie should have stayed inside. Um, and this is also a movie that I've been needing to see, and it's been very difficult to find. Uh, if you're not aware, I don't think there's an American Blu-ray release of this film. If there is, it's um, about $100 a pop. So I actually ordered this uh, from a from a DVD vendor somewhere in Germany, and it still hasn't arrived. Uh, and then Trevor was like, "Oh, you know that Dawn of the Dead's on YouTube right now, by the way." So um, I ended up watching it on there, and uh, yeah, I wanted to see it because I'm a I'm a stickler. I'm I'm a sucker for practical effects. I like to see uh, I like to see kind of the evolution of it, how how it. Where we are now, basically, from like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, which is disgusting, if you've ever watched it, uh, and you go back and watch something like this, and you're like, well, that's paint. Uh, that's 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 very clearly fake blood. Um, it's just kind of fun to see. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad I finally dusted this one off. Yeah, this is a, a very important part of a zombie movie history. Uh, I mean, George Romero is often thought of as like the, the godfather of the genre in some ways, but... Uh, Brad, do you have much of a background with zombie media? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of uh, zombie films and movies and shows and games and stuff like that. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of this film. Um, I actually, I watched it a couple years ago because on my show we did a uh, top 100. We counted down our 100 favorite movies, and I rewatched it in preparation for that, and I'm pretty sure it was somewhere in my top 100. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Romero's original trilogy of night dawn and uh day and um yeah i mean i'm a, there's a lot of great zombie movies probably honestly one of my earliest intros into zombie movies might have been Shaun of the dead actually which i still think is a great zombie film it's great it's a great yeah. film all around comedy zombie film it's still great mm-hmm. yeah i'm a bad person as i'm the only one of the three of us who hasn't seen it <laughs> um <laughs> yeah sorry about that but yeah uh I haven't seen this movie since I was in high school, uh, so this was a lot of fun for me to come back to because zombie media, I was talking to you guys both um, before we recorded, it was, man, it was ubiquitous. It was everywhere in the 2000s. Like, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, like, there was a, a zombie fucking movement going on. Yeah. By the time I was in my first year at college, I think that was when um, the zombie walks at college campuses were becoming a really big thing. What's um, that? It was just like, it's kind of like a flash mob, but everybody shows up and acts like a zombie. I like that like better. In the red, yeah. Like in the red square of whatever college campus. Mm. Um, so zombies were very much a thing. They were in vogue, and uh, actually they were starting to get under my skin a little <laughs> bit, where it's like, hey, guys, cool with the zombies. Pun intended. I've enough, I've, it's like, I've, I've shot enough zombies in enough video games. I've seen enough zombie movies. Let's let's put a lid on it for a little while. But, Didn't mm-hmm. Modern Warfare have Nazi zombies? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think <laughs> that was in the mid-2000s. Like, yeah. like I think it was, um, what was it? world at war was the one that introduced it um so that was probably the late 2000s did um arguably i think we might have talked about this when we did 28 days later as an episode do you think it was that movie that kind of helped spark it again because of like of that that 2000s wave i still think that's the best one yeah i think that was what started it um i'm not positive on the timeline but i want to say that followed by the one-two punch of Zack snyder's remake of this movie Dawn mm-hmm. of the dead Mm-hmm. Um, the two of those in sequence, uh, yeah, that'll that'll that's enough to get a, a movement started, um, to get a trend. I think uh, the remake of Dawn of the Dead and Shaun of the Dead both came out like the same year. Mm-hmm. They did, so I think yeah. kind of those three films were all within the like one or two years of each other. So that kind of really was a big, all pretty financially successful and very popular zombie movies. Oh yeah, and then on the side you have Dead, the Dead Rising franchise that kind of. Uh, was a big seller of xbox 360s when it first came out and then a little bit down the line you have the left for dead franchise gets rolling and yeah we have zombies coming out our ears mm-hmm. um, uh, funny enough uh, 28 days later i only saw for the first time in doing this podcast uh, kyle picked that or yeah uh, i think mm-hmm. kyle and i did that and uh, kyle selected it i think yeah that was um, one to introduce to me um, I was impressed with that, and uh, it sounds like both of you have a mutual appreciation for the sequel 28, 28 weeks later. In theory, yes. Uh, I can't say that <laughs> confidently because I can't remember the rest of the movie. I can say that the opening scene is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like the sequel. It kind of goes in a pretty interesting direction where it's kind of like the world has started to rebuild, and uh, you're following these two kids who are in a city that's sort of like said to be safe and you watch as they're trying to survive as the city sort of starts to go into chaos which i think is a pretty cool setup and uh, i I think it's fairly well directed too not quite as good as 28 days later but i'd still uh, i still really enjoy it 
Yeah, back when oh. Danny Boyle was still doing decent stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, did he do the sequel also? I don't think so. I think he he probably produced it, but yeah, he didn't direct it. Yeah, I was about to say that doesn't seem like something he would do. But is a uh, is Idris Elba in there? Am I right in thinking that? Um, I know Robert Carlyle is like the the headliner, and I always like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's a, a handful of actors who were just rising, like they were just on the rise to become A-listers. Um, I think Jeremy Renner is in it as well. So, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> which might not be a selling point, but <laughs> apparently, did not. I say that out loud? Sorry. <laughs> it's like who, who farted? It's like no, nobody farted. They just brought up Jeremy Renner. Well, like, uh, I was going to ask you, Trevor. You're the video game expert. Um, the Resident Evil video game series. Now, is that zombie? Is that predominantly zombies? Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know if you want to get into all this up front uh, before we even get into the movie, but um, yeah, uh, the zombies in the Resident Evil franchise are spawned from a virus, a, a human-made, like a human-manufactured virus. That's um, patient so that, zero of the zombie of the zombie wave from the 2000s. Then, sorry, uh, it probably had a huge hand in it because the Resident Evil franchise got started in a the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Resident Evil Four came out, I believe, in the early to mid 2000s and that was the most successful game maybe ever um, <laughs> like no joke like maybe the most influential game of its generation and beyond um so yeah that that wouldn't surprise me at all um speaking of which there's there's a shot or two in this movie that um the resident evil one remake i want to say borrowed uh, from this movie which i thought was kind of cool if i'm right mm-hmm. um but yeah i in my book, uh, this movie's a good time for sure. Night of the Living Dead is a classic of the genre, absolutely. Um, but I think Day of the Dead is my favorite of the Romero films. I think I actually own that one. No, I own Return of the Living Dead. Sorry, Return of the Living Dead. It's a different ah, thing. Punk rock zombies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Day, I think, is, I think it's my favorite, although it's definitely the most bleak of those three. Um, and it sounds like no one in the room here has uh, seen any of the Romero movies beyond Land of the Dead. I, I saw a Diary of the Dead. Oh, you yeah. Which... Uh, so you saw a Diary, and it was no good. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was trying to cash in on the found footage craze at the time, and oh, yeah, it it wasn't great from what I remember. I mean, maybe I'd have an appreciation of it watching it now. I I doubt it, but maybe. But um. Yeah, I have seen that one, but I haven't seen Survival of the Dead, which I think was his final dead movie. I think that one came out after Diary. Yeah, as far as I know, that is the conclusion of his his work on the series. Um, I would I would watch it just just to see, just mm-hmm. to check it out, just to see if it's worth your time at all. Um, yeah. And what's funny about Romero is that, from what I understand, his his output beyond zombie movies is actually quite good it's just he's often thought of as like a one-trick pony but it's like you know he does other things <laughs> mm-hmm. like, but unfortunately i'm one of those people who hasn't explored his filmography beyond his zombie movies uh, so maybe well, one day I've, I've seen creep show which i think is probably my only non-dead movie of his that i've seen Oh, which uh, which segment did he do in creep show i think i think he did all of them if i'm not mistaken in the first one Oh wow! Uh, in that case, yeah, I've absolutely seen Creepshow. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so that's something. That's cool. Um, but that being said, guys, uh, you want to get to the movie itself? Yeah, let's okay. do it. Uh, so yeah, this is Dawn of the Dead from 1978, directed by George Romero, and our opening shot 
um, definitely puts us in 1978 because we have a red rug wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hideous. It's absolutely hideous. Why were we um, putting but, carpet on walls? I don't understand that. <laughs> you got me, man. Like, wood paneling, I get. Like, I, I get the appeal of wood paneling, but red rug on my wall? <laughs> yeah. At first, I thought, because I knew they were in a TV studio, I was like, oh, this must be, like, a sound booth or something. That's what I but thought. But it's, it's uh, you know, there, there's no mics in there, so there's no reason to uh, soundproof that room. <laughs> there's no reason. <laughs> so somebody just thought it was a nice ornament put on the wall. Yeah. So, you know what would make this wall better if it looked like Clifford the Big Red Dog? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's be honest. That that opening shot of the carpet on the walls is probably the scariest part of the whole movie. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean I was sitting on my couch. I went, yeah. <laughs> Did you, uh, you were like running through a, uh, a TV station, like a TV studio, and uh, it's absolute fucking chaos. But uh, did you notice uh, some of the names in the opening credits? Um, Brad, I think you you're familiar with some of these names, maybe a little better than I am. Um, are you talking about Argento and the the goblins, perhaps? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Dario Argento mm-hmm. was a script consultant and uh, did the soundtrack with the goblins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm a big Argento fan, so it, I know he probably didn't have too much of an influence on this overall, but uh, it's cool seeing him in there, and I do really like uh, the score by the Goblins in this one. This was a year before Suspiria, I think. Yeah, they were they were all kind of right around the same time. I mean, this was when horror was really starting to to get intense, and it was booming. Yeah, I, I didn't know that Argento was a musician, let alone a composer. Um, although the Goblins, or Goblin, uh, I, as far as I understand, you, if you have any interest in Giallo, you have an interest in Goblin. Yeah. Uh, they, <laughs> they show up a lot. Um, and yeah, I was telling Brad uh, before we recorded that, like, yeah, I need to bring up the music in this movie because some of it is just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gonk, in particular. <laughs> something that I absolutely cannot... I can't talk about this movie without bringing it up probably like minimum three times because the gonk is just fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll come up in the later portions of this movie. Um, but yeah, as far as I understand, uh, Argento was like a financier of the movie. Um, I don't know if he had any creative input, but uh, he was like a strong supporter for this production before it even got started, like in pre-production. Um, and yeah, his name is all over the opening credits. <laughs> yeah, and I believe he actually edited a European cut of the film. And so um, you can watch Argento's cut of this movie where he edits a little different. Um, I've heard it's a little faster paced, not as good as Romero's, but um, I've always been curious to check it out. Oh, no, no shit. I, I would, would totally watch that check too, yeah. that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because no, yeah, we were talking before we started recording. This movie has a very breezy editing style at times. Sometimes it's actually very snappy and very energetic. There's a lot of cross cutting that lends lends quite a bit of energy to the proceedings. But other times it's just kind of like people running back and forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'd be curious to see how that plays out. Um, yeah. But yeah, our our movie goes from this hideous red wall, which I, I will admit has an interesting texture at the very least. Like you don't, it's one of those macro shots where it's like I don't know what I'm looking at. This could be a sore on someone's ass for all I know. <laughs> um, it's a very strange shade of red. Um, but then the camera does pull back, and we find a a blonde woman. Uh, Franny uh, is her name. I. I kind of like came up with nicknames for everyone in the cast as I was writing my notes, and she was our gal <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> but her name is Fran, and she's asleep in the back room of what we later learn is a newsroom. 
so this is where we're doing a news broadcast and uh guys did you notice like the sound editing during this whole sequence um holy shit uh there's it's this is giving giving me flashbacks of uncut gems <laughs> yeah well the whole scene is very chaotic and disorienting and the, you know it, it almost gets once they start dealing with the zombies things get a little more calm after this uh this opening like this is kind of this pretty disorienting oh yeah no joke like like there i think we get like 10 to 15 minutes into this movie before there's even like a frame or two of quiet Mm -hmm. Um, this movie is very noisy out the gate and we just get this uh the sequence of of cuts here and there where we're getting all the all the opening credits but all the footage that's playing over the credits is people scrambling around this newsroom and chattering and talking over each other and there's just this aggressive tone in the room that's it's really off-putting and it, it puts you on edge from minute one it's pretty cool um but yeah we we kind of like pick up snippets of information here about how like uh, they're being advised to direct people to rescue stations. Um, and we also discover through like overhearing conversations, it's like a lot of those rescue stations aren't operative, but <laughs> people should go to them anyway. It's like, that's really bad advice, but okay. Um, but what's really interesting about this is obviously it's Dawn of the Dead. It's directed by George Romero and we're watching it in 2020. We know there are zombies in this movie, um, but you know, we haven't even said the word undead or zombies or creatures or anything like that in these first minutes. Like we, we really don't know what's going on. We just know there's a crisis of some sort. One yeah. dude says, I would say one dude says, are the dead coming back to life? It's very, it's very quick and it, it's in the middle of the chaos. It's hard to catch. Yeah. Yeah. I think setting it in a TV station is a pretty clever way to get some exposition out while also, mm. you know, setting up how they're going to get a helicopter and, um, rather than having just a character explain something, have sort of this newscast going on while we're following all the chaos in the background of the newscast. Yeah, I, I think the the line that actually like makes it clear as to what the situation is is like um, the news anchor uses the phrase uh, "every dead body that is not exterminated becomes one of them." And it's like, oh, well, that's a problem. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what them is, but it sounds bad. Um, and yeah, the, the score really starts to overpower the soundtrack at this point. We, we get like moaning on the soundtrack and it's, it's pretty intense stuff. It's just this cacophony of noise. Um, and then there's this really funny part where this guy like barges into the office and I guess he's like the studio manager or something. And he's yelling about ratings. Like, yeah. he's, he's yelling about making programming decisions based on retaining ratings. Yes. And at that point, just it erupts into chaos, and people just start leaving. <laughs> this man has no dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, he is the Walter Peck of yes. this of this studio. Eat your heart um, on Channel Five. Um, <laughs> oh, go ahead. Sorry, I had uh, a question about the next sequence when we actually get to the apartment building. Ah, well, uh, they get we get some more dialogue here, also delivered by the, one of the anchors. Um, actually, I think this is an interview that's going on right here with someone who is a supposed specialist. I don't think you can have those in a zombie apocalypse, <laughs> but sure. He's been studying all his life for this. He's ready. <laughs> I mean, unless it's like Bear Lugosi from like White Zombie or something, I'm not going to trust his opinion on anything. Bear <laughs> Lugosi was in White Zombie? I didn't realize that was yeah. him white zombie <laughs> i was not um, aware of that 
But yeah, the, the line here is, they kill for one reason. They kill for food. That's what keeps them going. I don't know why I said it that way. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's martial law in Philly and across the whole country. And uh, then we get introduced to one of the important players in this story, or the story of the movie, and that would be uh, Flyboy, uh, a.k.a. Stephen. Stephen. Um, the hair. He comes in looking... Yeah, he, hair. He's the hair. <laughs> Kyle, do you want to explain why you called him that? <laughs> yeah, he's actually top build. Uh, if you go to IMDb, he's the first person. He hasn't been in any other movie. Like he's like, he, like uh, the two white guys in the mall have been in like four movies, accumulative. Like the two of them together, uh, they've been in nothing. Um, but yeah, I call him the hair because the other two guys that are stuck in the mall are lacking <laughs> quite a bit. Um, so yeah, you see the head of hair. It, what's weird is that he's supposed to be kind of like the leading guy a little bit uh, because he's got the full head of hair, but he's very, like he's really not. He, he doesn't have much of a, pr like he's present in the film, but he doesn't have as much presence if that makes any sense. I think uh, part of that might be done on purpose because like when we see him introduced to like, you know, he's the more classically handsome out of the group and he's wearing a leather jacket and like you said he's got a kicking haircut so it's kind of like this is our action hero but we'll find out that he's actually pretty incompetent when it comes to uh, any sort of like shooting or fighting and eventually he kind of you know turns into a little bit of an action hero as the movie goes on but he's kind of a you know a, a wet blanket for most of the movie he's pretty useless yeah yeah, uh, I, I think you're on to something there Brad where like George Romero obviously he he thrives in like an indie environment. Like I, I don't see him as being someone who would ever be interested in doing like a blockbuster film. And I guess Land of the Dead is maybe the closest he got to, to touching that world of cinema. Um, but yeah, he's he's very subversive, and he's he's very much big on pushing boundaries and whatnot. I mean, having having a, an African American lead in, in Night of the Living Dead was kind of a big thing. Mm -hmm. Kyle Kyle's putting his hand up. <laughs> <laughs> That was kind of what I wanted to ask about because it kind of leads into this next part. Um, there's a, a bit of a raid going on. It's a, I'm not really sure what it, there, this raid is supposed to be, but there is one cop in particular who looks like a Chicago Bears fan um, <laughs> that he is saying some racist shit uh, going in there. Like he is dropping bombs and slurs. And I realized, I'm like, man, that was the thing in um, uh, uh, God, uh, Night of the Living Dead was we had a black main character and i was wondering like i don't really see any like tones of race going on in this movie but it it's kind of weird to put that in there and do nothing with it i'm not sure what romero's like um what he's getting at with that i don't know uh, i mean i'm sure we'll figure it out as we continue to talk but it needs to be said that he at least through Land of the Dead, you could argue that he had a black lead in he all did. of those movies. Because um, yeah. Land of the Dead, the, the Terry Crews zombie, <laughs> no, yeah. it's not Terry Crews, but yeah. at least I don't think it is, but like I always thought of him as that, because I was like, is he's... that Terry Crews in makeup? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I thought it was more like Debo, but yeah. De no, Debo's got the Wally eye, though. Like Dead giveaway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he could be thought of as the protagonist of land of the dead in some ways um but yeah maybe it's maybe what they're trying to do with with the the bears fan um, was uh show that like when when chaos erupts into when society like crumbles and whatnot all these horrible impulses that people of that nature have they feel they have free reign to act on them 
mm-hmm. um, because he's indiscriminately just shooting people in mm-hmm. that building, and it gets to the point that his his subordinates have to like take him down because like this is this is doing no one any favors. And by the way, unless you shoot him in the fucking head, they're gonna get up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> also, his his movies weren't they weren't they were filmed in a time when there was still plenty of racial tension in America. Maybe the point was to. Have them in the, in like in these scenarios like hey when the when the shit hits the fan you're still people and you need to you know you need to love each other because you have to you need each other to survive I don't know if maybe that was what he was getting at but yeah this guy this guy's a piece of shit and uh, he totally gets what's coming to him yeah I I want to say that actor was um like he was like the abusive father in a silver bullet. It, like, he has the same build and the same Mar- Mario Mario Brothers mustache. <laughs> I want to say it's the same guy, and this is it's like on the same tier of movies. So yeah. there, there's like eight wrong. actors in Hollywood who look almost exactly the same as those guys, and so you can kind of just you know pick and choose between them if you want. <laughs> it's like I, w- I want him. It's like why? It's like he showed up, warmed up. He's got a good sweat going. <laughs> He's greasy. He can move. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the scene that Kyle is talking about here. So we transition from the newsroom, um, wherein Flyboy enters. Like like Brad had mentioned, his war his wardrobe is kicking. He's got the the slick quaff. Um, he's even got his collar popped. So you know he thinks he's cool. Um, he's not. <laughs> um, he comes in there and he and Fran are an item. And uh, he pulls her aside and he's like, "Hey, I got a I got a chopper. I want to like get out of here." <laughs> um, so they conspire to leave. Like, they don't have a destination, but they just want to leave the city, um, which I presume we're in Philly at this point, um, because this whole movie takes place in Pennsylvania. Uh, I know the mall that the film was shot in is in Pittsburgh, um, but I presume we're in Philly right now. Um, Anyway, the plan is to leave via chopper. Um, Cut to a SWAT team rappelling from the top of a building and then yeah straight up racism <laughs> uh, we get we get this guy who gets his own low angle camera shot uh, that is not fun to look at because he's very greasy uh, he's, <laughs> uh, he's quite heavy set and uh, they gave him a gun that probably wasn't a good idea <laughs> no, no not at all <laughs> uh, but yeah I don't exactly know what the operation is here uh, so we have a SWAT team invading like a tenement building of some sort um and we get introduced to one of the other major players in the story, Roger, who is a diminutive fellow with a uh, questionable hairline. Uh, brutal haircut. <laughs> just brutal. Peter Berg Sr. He looks like Peter Berg and Ethan Hawke had a kid, and this is what it came out to be. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Ethan Hawke and Peter Berg. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the cheekbones, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they, they got that skeletal skull structure. But... Maybe a little bit of fetal alcohol syndrome. <clears throat> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Roger uh, is going to become one of the major players in the story, but he is on the SWAT team. And uh, I didn't do any research, but I want to say the SWAT television show uh, was probably a thing by the time we got to 1978. Um, I think, was it Daryl Gates was the, the L.A police commissioner or somebody who who invented the SWAT team essentially um I want to say it was in the 70s so seeing seeing police in jumpsuits repelling with like heavy duty weaponry and stuff this was kind of a new thing like, mm-hmm. this was not something you saw on TV all the time um 
So this was interesting to see like a an actual tactical team in a in a 70s movie. It's just not an image that sticks out at me as something that you saw in movies all the time. Maybe that's why this scene was kind of weird cuz I I was thinking it seemed odd. I'm like, really a raid? What's a raid? Why do we have a SWAT raid going on? It felt odd. I'm like, maybe that's why it felt weird cuz I'm like, yeah, I don't usually see this in the 70s. Yeah. I think from what I understand the reason they were raiding the building is because they say that the residents weren't turning over their dead to the National Guard mm. and keeping them in the basement. So I, I think they would they were sent those people there because they assume the place is overrun with the dead and uh, because the residents aren't, you know, they're keeping their dead locked in the basement, which we see later. That makes sense. Oh, wow. Thanks for that detail. Brett. I think, actually, I think, I think. No, I think you're absolutely right. I'm comfortable um, with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Kyle, it needs to be said, uh, excellent choice for the theme this month. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Like, it just, it just kind of worked out that way. Cause there's a lot of stuff that comes up in this movie that fits the stay the fucking side theme very, very well. Um, and unfortunately st- scenes like this, wherein we have people refusing to turn over their dead, uh, to the government, mm. um, kind kind of, mirror the situation maybe we have going on right here uh, Mm -hmm. in other parts of the world hopefully um but yeah uh this uh this racist bears fan (laughs) is posted up on the roof (laughs) and uh yeah there's like a new guy on the team uh that is having a chat with roger and you can tell he's he's a little uh he's a little concerned he's like i don't know what to do man i'm really i'm really scared and roger's like it'll be all right man just stay close to me Door gets kicked open, first shot fired, goes straight into the new guy's face. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a a pretty good bullet hit. Uh, Mm -hmm. For 1978, this is pretty tasty. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of tasty shotgun squibs up here, mostly delivered via uh, the racist Bears fan. Um, He's shooting innocent people. (laughs) He's shooting, um, like... It is interesting how they bring zombies into this because it just kind of pops up. Like, you don't don't even know zombies are a part of this. like he's just shooting people, and then somebody's green. I'm like, oh shit, there's a zombie in here. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is kind of how it goes down. Uh, we we get inside, and by the way, there's a guy on the roof that I want to say was in brownface. Um, Thank you. Yes, I, I caught that too. <laughs> Even Steph asked about it. He's like, is that guy in, in, in blackface? I'm like, I think so. <laughs> Pretty sure he is. Yeah, he's one of the hippie-looking guys with a headband. But yeah, the the skin tone of his face looked questionable. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know what that was all about, but he's dead. It doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, we go deeper into the building, and uh, Mario, the racist Bears fan, uh, he is kicking doors, and he is shooting people indiscriminately, and it gives us one of the most glorious shots in this whole movie. That would be the random head explosion. (laughs) Yeah, it is good. And you got to think, having this, like, so early in the movie for audiences in 1978, like... I'd read about a few like film critics who said they walked out 15 minutes in, and it's like, well, that was probably uh, right there. They got up and they walked out. Pussy. Gosh. <laughs> so this was the uh, the Omaha Beach sequence of 1978. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but people got up from that uh, from that scene for different reasons, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, this the timing on this head explosion, the edit is just fantastic uh, it, mm-hmm. it makes me laugh it makes me roll on the floor with laughter because door opens head explodes lady screams into the camera <laughs> it's just like what the fuck just happened um and it's not it's not even that good of a head explosion like if you've ever seen like still frames of it in sequence i think you can even find it on the wikipedia page for the movie like you can see that they they had like a 
a sock wrapped around a dummy's neck to keep mm. the head from falling off before it exploded. <laughs> it just it looks terrible. This wasn't this wasn't made for multiple viewings. This was gonna be, you know, in the theater for people to see. Like, was that a dummy? It doesn't fucking matter. Just keep watching the movie. Like, don't ask questions. Um, but yeah, uh Roger sees uh sees Mario, just this this Super Mario brother shooting all these people in the halls, and uh, he he has to call a stop to it. So mm. he jumps on his back. And like I said, Roger is a diminutive fellow. He's he's probably minus 110 pounds on this guy he's a buck 80 and this boy is about 250 like mm -hmm. jumping on his back is not what you want to do go for balls and knees dude that's play dirty get get him down any way you can knees um, the other balls yeah <laughs> um but thankfully uh some other cops show up and uh they shoot mario for him um the guy falls through a doorway um which leads to the uh the aforementioned green-faced zombies that Kyle had mentioned. And Kyle, you want to want to walk us through this a little bit? Sorry, I pictured Tommy Boy falling down on the table. Chris <laughs> probably falling down on the table. <laughs> um, so yeah, this scene, what's happening here? Um, we we get some dipshit who's um, like he's trying to shoot a zombie, and it's like coming after him really slow. Uh, these are these are slow zombies, by the way. If anybody's listening to this and hasn't seen this movie, um, there's several different kinds of zombie, but th these are slow-moving zombies, so we've got time. But this dude keeps trying to, to shoot the zombie on the floor, and he's got either no bullet or it, his gun's just jammed or it's not working. Uh, but it takes a long time to finally get this uh, zombie shot, and it, it's not even him that shoots it. It's somebody else. Yeah, so there are three cops in this room, and there are initially... There's, initially, there's only one zombie in the room, but in the time this guy is trying to fumble around with his shotgun, two other zombies show up and start wrestling with people. And I'm like, quit the wrestling, just get it done, man. <laughs> like, it's like clearly we've been in this situation for a little while. We we know the math. We we know that bullet to face kills zombie. <laughs> so just fucking do it. And they're green. You can tell the guy. The guy on the floor is missing at least one or two limbs, and he's he's got a head wound that. Nobody could survive. He is clearly an undead. Just get it done. Don't have, feel guilty about it. Have you guys ever seen the Robin Williams Billy Crystal film Father's Day? Mm -mm. Um, uh, no. It was like mid '90s, I think, when it came out. I, I remember liking it as a kid, but uh, for some reason, at one point in the movie, they are um, in like a crowd of people, and Billy Crystal, like five foot four, five foot five, Robin Williams, are headbutting people. <laughs> <laughs> just headbutting him in the head, and like, why does it hurt so bad? And they're like, and Billy Crystal's like, use your back. So they just <laughs> just headbutting people. And I picture like that. That would be an effective way to take care of these zombies if you're just like working through headbutt, headbutt, but gun butt, headbutt. Yeah, that's how that's how slow moving these zombies are. Charles, big headbutt. Tommy, big headbutt. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, you're onto something. They could have cleared them all just with headbutts alone. Headbutts, man. Especially from Ken Foray, uh, yeah. Peter. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got a cranium on him, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's a big dude. <laughs> big dude. But um, this seems like a good time to bring up the subject of zombies. Uh, so the portrayal of zombies in this movie, uh, like Kyle had said, they're basically just ashen-toned, like, skin-toned people. Um, the makeup effects are not terribly intricate. Uh, we get a couple of special zombies here and there, like one with an eyeball hanging out and like with an exposed torso. But for the most part, it's just great, great people. Mm -hmm. um, they look like the receptionist from Beetlejuice, basically. Yeah, actually, <laughs> very, very much so. The the beauty queen or whatever. Yeah. yeah, who actually was a beauty queen. 
I, I believe it. she's mm. quite fine, even with the green skin, Rose? skin. <laughs> and the separated torso. <laughs> um, but uh, what what do you guys like preferences in regards to zombies? I uh, I think I prefer slow moving zombies just because, you know, when you got fast moving zombies, they can be a little bit more. You're getting into sort of an action oriented zombie movie, which can be fun. And I don't have any problem with those. But I think um, you can really sort of get some horror out of something that's like slowly, a slowly moving threat that's continually coming up on you. And there's there's a few moments um, like there's the moment where they stop for gas and uh, Ken Forey is in the the you know, lounge area and there's a zombie that's coming at the doorway and you see it coming. And I'd have to imagine that was pretty uh, suspenseful back in 1978. And uh, I think uh, I prefer the slow moving zombies. You get a little more social commentary out of those as well. The mindlessness of people and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. Uh, I think that they, I think they both work slow moving zombies. If you're, if it's done right, it, it really builds that tension and you're like, uh, it, it's like a slow-moving guillotine. It's like, oh, it's coming, but they don't even know, and it's going to get them. Um, but on the other hand, like 28 Days Later, those are fast-moving zombies, and I, I don't really know. I don't really consider that to have much of an action element, but it's more menacing, especially like when he makes the noise in the church. Like He's just like, mm-hmm. hey, so bam, they're, they're after him now, and I think that, that makes it pretty menacing. So, I mean, I think maybe just a little bit faster, like a slow-moving zombie that's moving just a little bit faster than these zombies. Well, I mean... I, I really appreciate the creativity of the Return of the Living Dead zombies. That is an amazing concept. Like the only way to truly be rid of them is to disintegrate them. Um, and they talk, and they're after brains, not just flesh. Uh, that movie is like on the sly, absolutely terrifying in some regards. It's a funny movie for the most part, but when you think about it on a conceptual level, it's like, damn, that's heavy. <laughs> but. Uh, my preference has always been slow zombies as well. Um, some people, not me, um, argue that like the Twenty Eight Days Later ones aren't zombies because they're they're rage virus. <laughs> they're not zombies. Like, Call what it really, is. All right, they're people. just really fucking mad at you. They don't want to eat you. <laughs> like, but um, yeah, I, I like slow zombies. Um, but one thing that I've always thought was interesting about the concept of zombies is uh, the decomposition. Like I always thought it made a lot of sense to have like they're they're walking dead like given enough time in the sun they'll fall apart mm-hmm. and I, in my mind that seems like something that should factor into the plot of a lot of movies but never ever does um it, it would be one of those things where it's like there is hope just wait long enough and you know these these bloated walking corpses will either fall apart or just be unable to move at some point yeah. um one the Resident thing, Evil zombies kind of do that a bit. One thing I'll say about the the TV show, The Walking Dead, you know, say what you will about the quality of the show. They actually, Greg Nicotero doing a lot of the direction on that show and some of the makeup, um, they actually do a pretty good job of as the show has progressed over time, the zombies have continually degraded and look less and less like people. Like, obviously, they're still, you know, moving around and stuff, but they, uh, you know, you can tell they really factor in the decomposition over time, which I think is interesting and something you don't get really get to see in movies that only take place over a set period i agree decomposition is an important factor i i agree with you on that trevor um i like to see that a bit more um i forgot about um the other zombie movie i've seen which is a comedy uh the dead don't die the jim jarmusch joint 
um, there's a little bit of decomposition in there, um, and there's a little bit of talking, like they're still kind of self-aware. That's something I do not like in my zombies. I, I need mindless. I don't, I remember that in Land of the Dead where the guy is kind of like, that's where it, it just barely, like he's kind of conscious, but just barely. And he, mm-hmm. he it, it's, it's just barely. So like, even that, I'll let that pass, but we can't have thinking zombies. That, that We can't have that. Yeah, again, I think Return of the Living Dead is the only one that really did that right, where the, the <laughs> send more cops, <laughs> send more brains, like that. That's the right way to do it. That's a that's but a comedy. Yeah, it, it needs to be said. The Resident Evil, I think, holds the title for like the the best zombie quote, and that would be, of course, itchy, tasty. <laughs> Those are the only words I need to come out of a zombie's mouth. <laughs> um, um, that being said, uh, we're like so everything happened in that tenement building um we even get a sequence where there's a there's an embarrassing party foul where a woman sees her man thank you and runs out to him thinking oh oh he's been gone somewhere in the building for like two weeks (laughs) like clearly that's his natural skin color it's not him anymore (laughs) i'm like it's not him get away yeah, uh, this is a, a yell at the screen moment where uh, uh, she yeah, runs to embrace her man, and uh, he takes a nibble on her neck. Uh, he doesn't not, nibble. Not the fun kind. He gets, <laughs> I, now, this is something I do like in my zombie uh, zombie movies is good chunks missing. Like we don't like just little bites here and there. Like we are taking apple bites out of people's shoulders in this movie, mm-hmm. which is I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a big bite. Yeah, it, it, they needed to put the apple sound. But... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, he gets he gets a couple of chunks out of her, and mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, she's down for the count. Oh um, uh, yeah. Ho- hopefully, they dispose of her properly after that. But um, yeah, he gets shot to shit. Um, not not terribly precisely either. They just kind of shoot him all over. Um, and uh, the other rookie SWAT guy, the one who wasn't terribly capable with his gun in that uh, tussle we had earlier, uh, he offs himself. Um, and Roger pays witness to this, so he's having a pretty bad day. Not the best day on on the force. Um, yeah. So he uh, he takes refuge in like a back room. I, I don't know what kind of room this is, like a laundromat or something. But um, and this is where we're introduced to Ken Forey, who is essentially our hero protagonist for this film. And uh, he comes in. They have a bit of a standoff. He's still wearing his gas mask and reveals himself. Um, and I made special note here in my notes that this is actually the first moment of genuine quiet that we have in this movie. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this is probably 10, 15 minutes in after God knows how many violent conversations and head explosions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's here where the two of them kind of come up with a plan to just, again, like like the people with the chopper, leave. Um, Roger kind of gets the ball rolling, but Ken Forey, Peter, um, he agrees and uh, Roger mentions that he has a friend with a chopper, which we'll later learn is our our pair with the chopper that we were introduced to earlier. Um, and then we get a one-legged priest. <laughs> anybody want to tackle this one? Uh, well, I mean, does anybody know? I'm assuming, was he actually a one-legged man? I want to say, yeah. I mean, yeah. this movie, based on the production values, I want to say they just had a one-legged priest on staff. I would think so. I would think so. <laughs> they didn't Lieutenant Dan his legs. 
I, 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 I like to think that it wasn't originally planned that it was going to be a one-legged priest and his audition was just so good that they cast him anyway. They said, yeah, you're, you're, you got the ticket and you're one-legged, so it kind of adds a little bit of a mystique to you. See, I feel like this would have been a perfect time for Father Guido Sarducci to make a cameo, like just to come in. I think this this was this was his time too. So, what's his catchphrase? Code? Oh, it's no problem. It's no problem. Don't, piece don't, of cake. Yeah. Piece of cake. It's no problem. No problem whatsoever. <laughs> that been perfect. Uh, but yeah, he comes in and uh, he's like, so you know, there's pro- there's there may be some dead people in the basement. Maybe <laughs> they may be a problem. And uh, he also has one of the better lines in the whole movie, though, as he's making his exit. Um, he just kind of leaves the room on his own. Uh, and he says to these two cops, uh, when the dead walk, senores, we will stop the killing or lose the war. Um, which is essentially a prelude to the tagline of the entire movie and basically zombie lore in general, well, which we'll get to towards the end of the movie. Um, cut to a sealed room that some <laughs> really dumb cops uh, force open and uh, basically a wall falls down and an entire tidal wave of zombies overwhelm them. Yeah, zombie not, overload. Yeah, not 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 the smartest guys. They maybe put your ear to the wall before you take down the boards. The the boards that have been sealed against the wall. Like, it's like maybe there's something bad behind that. Just maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, we cut to the basement, and uh, the music is all wonky and kind of delirious here. Uh, good good piece of music for for the tone they're trying to set here. And uh, yeah, Ken Forey. Peter uh, starts executing all the people that were formerly uh, dead in the basement. And he's yeah. like one by one. The zombie Caligula the down in the basement? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a man in a bag who just can't just can't quite get out. It's kind of sad because the other ones have like snacks. Like they're munching on limbs and stuff. But there's this one guy in the corner that's just kind of like wriggling around like in a cocoon almost. And he, mm-hmm. he just can't join the party. But he gets I- shot in the face so it doesn't matter. I learned that about myself after watching Audition. Uh, somebody in a bag wiggling around freaks me the fuck out. Yeah, this was effective for me. I'm like, ooh, that's pretty good. That, that's creepy. I think especially with the, the score, I think the score and the images of these people just munching on meat, I think it is actually pretty unsettling as kind of, you know, dated as the, just these extras just munching on, like, you know, fake prosthetic legs looks. I think with the score and just... Uh, it, it kind of gets to you a little bit, and you can mm-hmm. tell that it gets to uh, Peter as he uh, starts killing them. It seems to take a little bit of a toll on him. Yeah, he sheds a tear, and it, it has almost, like, not an old yeller, but just, like, killing an animal or, or like, a pet kind of vibe to it. Because it needs to be said, none of these zombies in the basement are paying him any mind whatsoever, except for one that starts crawling towards him, presumably because it was deprived of all the snacky snacks. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, you can see it on his face. He is not enjoying this, but it's something that has to be done. Um, <laughs> we get a bit of unintentional comedy here, but I don't know if either of you guys caught this, but I thought I got a chuckle out of it. Where, um, like, a National Guardsman or, or some military guy pokes in through, like, this hole in the wall. He's like, you guys okay down there? And Ken Forey's like, yeah, <laughs> we got it. And then he's just like, he just looks around for a bit and he goes, Jesus Christ. And then he just zips out of frame. Yeah. He's like, Why? <laughs> Steph and I both had a good laugh at that. He just zips out just, real quick. Just the timing. He just looks around. He's like, peace. It was un- yeah, yeah, it was unintentional, I think. But yeah, that was good comedic timing. Just yeah. a great guy who's like, yeah, that's not my problem. They got to handle them out. <laughs> well, I want to say that his his offer to like help them out was 
was not a flimsy genuine. offer. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just like, I'm just saying this because, you know, I, I have to. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, a gunshot uh, edit, like literal gunshot edit, uh, brings us to a new location wherein a uh, flyboy apparently, I don't know if he executed this guy. The, the timing on it suggests that he did. But it's somebody in a like an airfield office, and uh, basically Flyboy is like calling in on the radio, or at least listening in on the radio at this airfield. And he's loading up the chopper. I don't think he did. I think this person's just dead. Um, I think you're right. Or mm-hmm. might, this guy might have killed himself because I don't think this guy could harm a fly at this point. Yeah, you're right. I mean, as Brad had alluded to earlier, like his character path, it doesn't quite match the, the story beats for him. That doesn't happen until later. Um, but yeah, we're loading up the chopper, and uh, we have uh, a whole bunch of other cops piling in here. And I guess we have two parties here. Uh, we have a group that's going to leave uh, the area by boat and one that's going to leave by chopper. Uh, so our four principal characters, Fran, Steve, Roger, and Peter, uh, we're all going to pile into the chopper. And we get a fun bit of comedy here where one of the guys is living, he's leaving via boat. He, he is asking everyone if they have cigarettes. Everyone. And everybody's like, nah, man, I can't help you. And then as soon as he's in the boat and taken off and the chopper's in the air, people in the chopper start lighting up. <laughs> like, that is so cold, man. But that, maybe Fuck that's him. a bit of social commentary where it's like, you know, people in crisis situation are tend to look out for number one a little bit. As yeah. a former smoker, yeah, no, I wouldn't give him my cigarettes at all. Like, I don't know when I'm gonna get cigarettes again, and there's a finite supply now, so uh, he's not getting my cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, um, and at le- and- least he's not asking for uh, like food or water, and they're saying no. It's like you know, maybe if he was asking for, oh, we we don't have any water, we don't have any food, maybe they would be like, all right, here's a granola bar, but they're like, all right, we'll keep the cigarettes. You 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 can find some on your own. He can sip from my canteen, okay? Yeah. <laughs> he can. He can have. I'll give him an MRE, like a, I'll give him a, a bar, a granola bar or something. But he's not getting my damn cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> no. The the move is to lock eyes with him through the chopper door and just slide it shut. <laughs> no no words exchanged. Just shoot him a look. <laughs> um. But yeah, we get in the chopper and uh, we fly over the countryside. And uh, you guys want to explain to us what what we get here with all the. Uh, armed individuals and uh and the military guys congregating yeah well there's a a scene where we kind of have uh you know the military and a bunch of people i won't say rednecks i'll say living in the rural area of pennsylvania i'll say the rednecks (laughs) who are uh you know having a grand old time they're shooting some zombies in the countryside they're cracking beers they're probably grilling up some steaks and (laughs) i I have to admit i have to admit if i was living in the countryside and zombies were taking over i would probably have some fun going out and shooting some target practice at some zombies but i do think not to draw too much uh parallels between what's going on today but the fact that in this uh city in this high rise it's completely been decimated by this zombie outbreak and then you cut to the countryside and it's like they're not even taking it seriously because they haven't seen quite the same level of effects as the people in the city have i feel like there's maybe a little bit of a connection with what's going on today in today's world absolutely kind of a disconnect for people that aren't in like major like in a major market major cities and stuff like that like this isn't even that big Mm -hmm. of a deal look they're barely over here people in big cities like they're fucking everywhere yeah yeah (laughs) yeah population density especially in a zombie situation would make all the difference in the world and 
Yeah, it needs to be said that uh, this <laughs> this like barbecue basically they've got going on. They're cracking beers, they're playing music, they're laughing, they're having a grand old time. Um, there's a couple of priceless moments where they're all like drinking and then there's zombies creeping up behind them and there's just somebody mm-hmm. casually is like oh there's there's one and then they, everybody turns around just eliminates them no problem and they're making a fucking game out of it they're having the time of their lives and it's it's chilling because the zombies obviously have a human silhouette and they're you know they're formerly one of us but they're very casually just offing them like for sport and mm-hmm. as brad had said uh yeah, they have the situation well in hand. Um, Ken they're Foree, perfectly fine. I think Ken Foree even says, like, Peter, he's like, they're having the time of their lives down there. <laughs> they're probably having a blast. Yeah, uh, they are having a blast and then some. They even blow up a car for fun. It's like, you know, <laughs> I Guys, that would be, be doing useful. That... Yeah, a car could be used for many things. <laughs> Not just fire. Um, but, yeah, uh, they do literal target practice with zombies because they just have so much distance between them. And as far as I understand, they have enough bullets to handle whatever comes their way. Um, meanwhile, our heroes are kind of at a loss as to where to go or what to do. They're flying, mm-hmm. so they're safe, but they are going to run out of fuel, uh, which comes into comes to the fore right now when we have to land. And this zombie with the flat top, I want to say he looked kind of like Viggo Mortensen a little bit, but not as handsome as but he has he has a flat top and it only takes a couple minutes for us to understand why he has a flat top (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh we'll get to that in a minute though uh so we land and uh we're in an airfield where we're going to refuel the chopper and uh we break up into multiple parties uh so flyboy and fran uh they go investigate some hangars uh ken forey investigates a station uh meanwhile roger is fueling the chopper and uh ken forey gets free coffee (laughs) <laughs> yeah right that's that's a come up that's a come up yes that is, that's a good feeling oh yeah i bet um but yeah I, do you guys remember uh what what goes down here with all the different parties well one thing that i kind of like about uh our group of four that you kind of get start to get in this scene and kind of get a sense of it when they're already in the chopper is the fact that ken forey is almost because the three other people all know each other that he's kind of an outsider a little bit and he's not sh- they're not sure if they can trust him entirely and he's even more so not sure if he can trust them because he's one guy versus three of them so i like that dynamic and how that grows as it goes on and you get some of that with uh when Steven tries to shoot the zombie that is uh, approaching Ken Forey, and there's kind of some tension between the two of them there that I, I like. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, not subtle, but very effective uh, characterization that happens um, with every scene we get with these characters from this point on. And like you said, like it, I think just from a casting standpoint, having a like the biggest guy in the cast also be the only black guy in the cast, and also from a social standpoint, be the only one who doesn't know anyone except for like he just met Roger too. Like they mm-hmm. weren't on the same unit, yeah. So he's the complete outsider, even from a visual standpoint. He stands out in every way imaginable. So it does create some tension that is perhaps unwarranted because, for me, watching this movie for the second time as an adult. I, I didn't have any tension. I didn't worry about him at all because I knew where his, his character arc takes him. Um, but for someone seeing this movie for the first time, Ken Forey's kind of a scary looking guy. Yeah. Like, like, like mm-hmm. he's got those uh, sunken, like Tony Todd eyes a little mm-hmm. bit. Like he could, he could sub in for the Candyman if, if need be. He's got know. the frame for it. 
<laughs> Tony Todd is pretty scary. Uh, but <laughs> Ken Forey, he actually, I don't know if you've seen the Rob Zombie Halloween remake. He's only mm-hmm. in like, the beginning part of it. By the way, uh, kudos to Rob Zombie. He basically, I mean, for only pretty much his movies, but he got people from like these classic um like these classic horror movies and just put them into movies again which was kind of cool yeah and this is one of them he's one of them um but in the uh, he's in one like the first kills that michael myers says when he gets out he's a trucker and he's got like sideburns and this this giant hair he looks like a werewolf in mid-transition <laughs> and uh yeah he, he's yeah he's terrifying uh and he's cuttish like i've only seen him like present day contemporary so he's kind of fat um but he's like like big and like cut up like a tight end in this movie <laughs> yeah he's a big guy he gets yeah. to wear a wife beater at some point he gets to show off them guns um, he yeah. pops his shirt off when he's playing tennis or racquetball that's right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, i like his performance a lot i kind of wish that he could have been gone on to a bigger career than just uh starring mm-hmm. in rob zombie movies but good on rob zombie for casting him because I, I i really like the guy yeah, Rob Zombie's kind of like a parallel to Quentin Tarantino when it comes to dusting off old, older like gems in the form of actors and whatnot, and giving them a second life. Um, unfortunately, only in his movies. Like John Travolta actually got a new—he <laughs> got a new career in the '90s. Uh, I don't think Ken Forey got one out of the Halloween remake. But, no, not really. Um, but yeah, other than that and a death spot, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. Um, mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate, because like like you guys said, he's 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 a he's a presence on screen for sure. Yeah, he's got a great presence. I mean, Absolutely. anytime he's on screen, you're just like immediately you want to keep your eyes on him. Well, yeah, I mean, it's even from a visual standpoint, it's like that's that's the lead. Like, it doesn't help that Roger's half his size <laughs> and has the most unfortunate haircut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, our parties are now split up and. Uh, I think the first conflict we have here is Flyboy and Fran run across a couple of zombies, and we get some of the most embarrassing hammer action I think I've seen in a film. Um, so Fran freezes up, and Flyboy is, is wrestling with a zombie on the ground. He has a hammer, and he manages to club it in the head, but there's another zombie. And the way he dispatches the second zombie is like he has a free shot. Like This, this is the equivalent of the kid on the playground putting his hands down saying, take a shot. It's like, like no, no guard whatsoever. He's just like standing there, ready to take whatever you dish out. Flyboy runs at him, and he just is like hammer toss spin with his hammer. And he I hits love him. Like, he hits him like under the armpit. Yeah. <laughs> it's so goofy. Trevor, it was down to you and me in the apocalypse, and I saw you having this kind of trouble with a zombie. I might just go ahead and put you out of your misery, just yeah. just to be certain. Like you know what? Look, He's not gonna have a good time in this apocalypse. No, yeah. Kyle, you you would do the Seinfeld, the I don't want any cake face or the I don't want any pie face, just the frozen, just like mini, mini head wiggle, just no, no, and you just leave the room. <laughs> you just leave me wrestling with a zombie because you just, I don't need none of that in my party. Goodbye, Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this hammer move is terrible, and he falls down with the zombie. Like He, mm-hmm. he knocks himself out, probably, but... <laughs> Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Ken Forey is shooting at a door, and he's been doing so for a good solid minute because uh, he hears noises. Um, and then we cut back to Roger, and there's this kind of cool bit where he can't hear a zombie approaching him from behind. And this is a recurring theme in this movie. A lot of these zombies are very quiet for the most part. They don't do a lot of moaning or shuffling. They're just they're very quiet. And uh, 
this this Vigo Mortensen looking flat top zombie hops up on a crate and goes ah! <laughs> it's like gonna attempt to pounce on him maybe um, but we get this awesome bit where we get a reveal as to why this zombie has such a weirdly shaped skull and that's because <laughs> in standing up on this crate the blades of the chopper which is still running by the way uh, collide with his forehead mm. and take the top of his skull off yeah, Roger doesn't even have his head on a swivel. He's like checking out the hottie in the Volkswagen uh, in the pump next to him. He's just like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Jeez, yeah. He, he. I, spoiler alert: He doesn't survive this, but he was never going to. Yeah, he's not mm-hmm. cut out for this. Actually, that's one thing that um, I wanted to comment on. Uh, the promotional images for this movie, I think it's, I think they do it wrong uh, because unfortunately, some of the better images in this movie are spoilers. Um, so if you've never seen this movie before, you know that two of the major players in the cast end up in zombie form at some point. Um, if you've seen like fan posters or promotional art for the movie, those two characters have some of the best zombie makeup in the movie, mm-hmm. and they're used all the time on like posters and whatnot. It's like, man, now I know that like the main second, like the second main character of this movie turns into a zombie. That, that kind of ruins it if you've never seen it before. Yeah, and I had no, I had seen the uh, like a clip of the helicopter slicing off the top of this zombie's head before I saw the movie actually, so I knew that was coming. But I still think I love that effect. It's one of my favorite effects in the movie, and it's pretty hilarious because when you first see the zombie, he's got that giant, you know, like you said, flat top. He's got like a giant forehead, and it's pretty good to think, you know, they could have just had for that one shot, they could have put on that prosthetic on top of his head and been like, oh, maybe no one will notice that his head is bigger. But you got to think like George Romero was like, oh, let's just pretend that this guy just has a really big head. Let's just pretend he's got a really big head the whole time. <laughs> well, more than likely, it was a situation where they only had like one day of filming at that location. So they had to put the makeup appliance on like at the beginning of the day and just get to that by the end. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like we only have this guy for one day. We only have this chopper for one day. <laughs> it's like, you're going to sit in that makeup chair and you're going to be on standby until we take your head off. <laughs> Real quick, not that this matters too much, but Roger Ebert gave this four stars. I believe it. It's, That's I high think praise. It's a very good movie. That's mm-hmm. high praise. Oh, I think it's all around a good movie. Um, it has it touches like every element of the emotional spectrum. That's uh, that's something that's hard to do with like something that you would gen- you generally think of as like a horror movie. His stars baffle me sometimes. That's why I mention it. I'm like this. He one, does like, have some weird ones. Yeah, yeah. Carnosaur. <laughs> Oh wow! Four stars for this. I'm like, okay, Raj, what is, what is your criteria for a good movie? I know, uh, I know, Siskel gave him shit for Carnosaur for years. (laughs) (laughs) You got to think him giving this four stars though. Like back in the day, I mean, he was kind of the word on movies, so that that had to be a big boost for that. I don't know what he gave Night of the Living Dead or if he even reviewed it, but I mean, that's got to be a big boost for this movie that he gave it the four star, the four banger. What I really want to know is what did Gene Shower think? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I know I'm putting you guys on the spot, but helicopter, helicopter blade kills. Any any favorites that come to mind? Boy, I'm trying to think of any. Um, this is this. The, yeah, yeah, this is the one that always comes to mind for me. But yeah, I don't know. I, I can't think of too many movies I've seen where uh, the helicopter is uh, is one of the weapons, basically. <laughs> okay, well, um, I got I got a couple uh, that oh, come wow. to mind in- instantly. Yeah, I know. I, I'm a 
I'm a walking dictionary of helicopter-related deaths. Um, I'm not going to say Twilight Zone the movie because that's that's mean. That's that's that what came too, up when I googled it. So yeah. yeah, that's that's too soon, man. <laughs> like, like that that's not cool. You can't you can't do that one. That's cheating. Um, one of the better ones is uh, John C. McGinley gets his face shoved into a rotor and on deadly ground via Steven Seagal. Uh, he gets Seagalled into a helicopter. Yeah. And then uh, Scott Adkins, my boy, my my hero, uh, he gets his face put into a rotor as well by Jason Statham in The Expendables 2. Mm. <laughs> and it's pretty fucking tasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also the end of uh, Freddy Got Fingered, um, the sequence where the, the boy, like... I, he gets thrown into like a helicopter blade or something <laughs> but then they uh to avoid like an x rating or like a, a, a hard r rating uh, they had to dub they had to dub an audio track of the kid saying i'm okay even though everybody's covered in blood <laughs> everybody always forgets about freddy got fingered they always forget about that one well they want to anyway <laughs> yes, so there is one, I had one legit laugh with Freddy Got Fingered. It's when the kid is running over to him and he hits his face on the car. And uh, Tom Green just kind of, the kid starts screaming and he's just I like, know, that, like, that, is, that is like a genuine, oh, fuck. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know about helicopter, but I think, doesn't Lucy Liu get her head, like the top of her head sliced off by Beatrix in Kill Bill yeah. Volume 2? Mm-hmm. I'd say that's probably the best removal of the top of the head that I know of. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty solid, yeah. but yeah, other than that, I, I don't know too many other ones. Hannibal is pretty good too, mm. but it's goofy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ray Liotta was his brains exposed waiting yeah. for dinner. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, before this becomes an episode unto itself, I suppose we should move on. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Ken Forey is assaulted by two zombie children uh, who mm. are hiding behind that door that he's been shooting for the past five minutes. <laughs> um, and they, uh, they jump on him, and uh, he shoots them both. Neither of them get squibbed up, as far as I understand, because that, that probably you know doesn't sit well with the on-set advisors and whatnot. It's like, hey, George, don't be putting explosives on the children. <laughs> like, it's like, I know, I know we're in Philly, but we don't do things like that. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, uh, this is where uh, Flyboy tries. Flyboy says, like a little boy, uh, helping in the kitchen i am helping <laughs> it's like no you're not timmy you're throwing <laughs> eggs on the floor um he shows up with a rifle and he needs to work on his aim um and you guys want to describe how the scene goes down <laughs> yeah he shoots like will ferrell in fucking jay and Silent bob strike back like blinking while the gun's going <laughs> off <laughs> uh, my favorite is a uh, dumb and dumber after a uh, harry is it mm-hmm. harry? <laughs> I- uh, yeah, <laughs> he's got the twist. He, he empties the revolver, and then we cut back to him, and he's, his hand is just all twisted to the <laughs> side. <laughs> um, but yeah, he misses. Well, he he takes aim, and I like how Ken Forey doesn't hesitate for a second. He sees Flyboy aiming. As far as I know, he hasn't even seen this guy shoot before, but he just knows. Like he yeah. can smell. He's not a good shot, so he dives and he takes cover. Um, fortunately, Roger shows up and takes care of the zombie. No problem. And there's actually two shots because there's a moment where he's they're shooting at zombies like out in the distance and Steven's missing. And then uh, Roger comes up and like pushes his gun away and shoots it. And then there's also where he's shooting at the zombie that's approaching uh, Peter. And I, it almost looks like it's close to the same shot because uh, Steven's shooting and Roger comes up and just 
pushes the gun out of his way. And for a second, I had to rewind. I was like, did they just reuse the same shot? Because it's so <laughs> similar. But he pushes his gun a little bit different each time. So it's not a repeat of the same shot. But yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was just two takes of the same sequence. <laughs> I, I honestly think it was because everything else looks the same. Yeah, I can I can see it actually. I think you're right. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, long story short, Flyboy cannot shoot, and uh, Ken Foray lets, lets him know. He lets him. He lets him fucking know. Oh, <laughs> real quiet. Yeah, go <laughs> fuck around. Um, so everybody's okay though, and we pile back into the chopper, and it is now night, and we're trying to decide on where to go. I think Cleveland is mentioned uh, somewhere in the sticks. I think Canada gets thrown out there too uh, by Fran. Um, and Ken Forey has a pretty good line here where he's like, wake up, sucker, we're thieves and we're bad guys. That's exactly what we are. Like, <laughs> wow, reality check. Ken Forey knows what's up. Um, but in the morning, uh, in the chopper, we find the mall uh, where the rest of this movie will take place, which is how this movie factors into the theme this month of staying the fucking side. Um, Nisui said that the soundtrack sounds like baby alligators here. If you've ever heard, if you've ever seen Discovery Channel or heard baby alligators after they come out of their eggs, it's, it's like this weird mewing sound, like meow, meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, we we land on the roof and uh, we see that there are zombies inside this mall, um, but not too many. And uh, both of our SWAT guys have a plan. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're planning on just going in there and setting up shop because uh, it seems manageable to them. This seems, uh, this was kind of weird because, I mean, in the Snyder remake, they cleared them all. Like, they're like, let's get all the zombies out and we're gonna, we're gonna take over this place. That's not the, they don't get around to that till a while uh, after they've been in the mall, which I was kind of surprised at. Yeah. Well, at first they're kind of, uh, you know, we know that they're going to stay in the mall. So I'm kind of like, you know, already just assuming that's where, oh, we're going to bunker down here. But actually, they're kind of just like saying, okay, we're going to come in here and rest for a little bit, maybe grab some supplies and then go. Yeah. It's not until after they start sort of clearing things out where they're like, we could stay here. So initially, their plan wasn't even to stay there long term. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a one step at a time progression where it's like, you know, that wasn't too bad. It's like, well, you know, that wasn't too bad either. It's like, you know, I can, I think I could take these zombies. <laughs> and yeah, it, it advances as things go along. And actually I really love the, uh, the progression of the set dressings of their, uh, their dwelling in the mall, like in the upstairs office area. Like by the time we get to the end, it's, it's a house. Like yeah. it's an actual living space. Whereas in the early goings, like when we first arrive, it's just a bunch of boxes and, I don't even think there's any furniture in there. It's just storage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they make it their home and they claim it. Um, but yeah, we enter from the roof and uh, we get a spam advertisement, which made me happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Always good. As a person with roots in Hawaii, I was like, yeah, it's always good to see spam advertised to the public. <laughs> Fran has a comment about like, ew, spam. <laughs> and she's like, and uh, Roger's reply is like, do you have a key? As in, like, a can opener key. And she's like, no. He's like, well, then don't knock it. It's got its own key. <laughs> it's like, good point, Roger. <laughs> like, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you have stock in Hormel. Just like <laughs> just like all the wise people do. Um, but yeah. yeah, we barricade the office door and we get some rest. Um, and I think uh, we should mention, I think this line is when they're still on the roof. Uh, Fran asks, like, oh, why do they come here? And I think it's Stephen who says, instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a nice jab at consumerism there. I mean, the movie's not very subtle about what it's going about, but I do think it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's 
trademark Romero social commentary right there. And it needs to be said, I think this movie came out around a time when the, the mall was kind of a new thing, like a, a new concept. I think there's even side dialogue uh, delivered by Roger, like alluding to the fact that it's like, oh, it's one of those newfangled indoor shopping centers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was I was going to ask about that because I had that same thought. I'm like, I don't think shopping malls, I think shopping malls were a new thing. They were popular in 80s. Like they were a huge thing in 80s movies. Uh, but I'm like, before that, I'm like, I don't remember seeing like any 60s movies where they go to a shopping mall. They're not really doing that. No, it's, it's funny enough. Uh, I know this was one of the first in the country, and I think uh, Northgate Mall in Seattle was actually one of the first as well. It's almost tore down, isn't it? <sighs> yeah, it's a ghost town. It's Jeez. scary. Yeah, um, yeah more, more parallels to the current situation where it's like the, the death of the shopping mall. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, like it's coming. Like, it won't be long now. But Where are you uh, at, Brad? Uh, Michigan. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, our shopping malls around here are pretty dead too i try and buy blu-rays whenever i can from fye but uh, i don't think i can support them for much i don't think i can keep them afloat for much longer on my own man no it's just you (laughs) really every time i go in there it literally is just me see that's crazy i'm from indiana and the fye in our mall has been gone for years so yeah i'm shocked that the one in my mall is still there because like all the other malls like within somewhat of a vicinity like all those fyes are gone but this one somehow it's still it might be me it could be me (laughs) are you i was gonna say are are you sure you're not like being truman show like like this guy comes in here thinking there's still fyes like yes come in brad (laughs) As long as I get the actual Blu-rays, I don't care if it's real or fake. I don't care. Everybody knows your name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we are two SWAT guys. Uh, they exchange some words, and uh, the phrase hit and run is tossed between the two of them. And it's based on the expressions on their face. You can tell they're they're kind of excited, actually. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely an element of danger in what they're about to do, but they seem like they seem like they got their head on their shoulders, or at least Ken Forey does. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and yeah, uh, they decide to head down and basically flip the fucking joint. Um, they have a plan to run through the mall and gather supplies, uh, which they feel that they'll need at some point. And this is where it really becomes apparent that Roger is a very small man. Um, <laughs> so, because the camera is pulled way the fuck back, and the two of them are running around together, and his... His eyeballs are at Ken Forey's stern. Yeah, <laughs> it's embarrassing. Um, although I will say this, uh, Roger, Roger is quite agile. Like he moves well. Oh, he's squirrely. Like, yeah. I feel like that's probably how he got this role because it's a very physically demanding role. He has to do a lot mm-hmm. of clambering and and climbing and running and jumping and stuff, and he does it very well. And also, points to him over Ken Forey. He knows how to hold a rifle, uh, whereas Ken Forey Ken Forey handles his rifle like it's a super soaker. Dude, I saw a, a Steven Seagal trailer for one of his like newer Steven Seagal movies. He has a gun and he's got it like the butt resting on his shoulder. I'm like, my God, you can't even. He was like sitting down with it resting on his shoulder, not <laughs> on. I'm like, my God, dude. It's like, are you playing a violin, sir? But yeah, Ken Forey. I mean, he's a big guy, so he's doing he's doing the Danny Glover thing where you just you look like you don't know what you're doing with the thing because it's too tiny for you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's just like, but I can hold it like this, so why don't I? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, no, that looks really weird, but whatever, you're huge. <laughs> anyway, uh, we find a key and some, we find keys to the entire building and walkie-talkies. And uh, just for kicks, uh, we turn on the, like, the ambient music in the mall 
and uh, all the fountain displays and stuff when you get a nice little montage here so showing like the inner operations of the mall and all the zombies wandering around and reacting to all the lights and sounds mm -hmm. and stuff uh, we also get introduced to uh a couple of like the character zombies in this movie um every zombie movie has like like standout zombies like uh return of the living dead has the mud man uh day of the dead has bud um this one has like the nurse the hari krishna and the one i call the rifle zombie because he's carrying a rifle throughout the entire film um when we get to the yeah. krishna when we get to the krishna i have a question about that oh yeah that that's right where we're at oh what? um he kind of comes yeah, he's kind of close here i mean yeah because this is where they're like uh, they go down to Penny's and they get into like this is all kind of happening at the same time. They they go down to Penny's and they're going around shopping, causing a distraction on like the two the two different doors, like pulling over to one side, trying to leave from the other. Um, but uh, Stevens messing around in the basement, and this I thought it had potential to be a, like spooky, especially if I was seeing it at the time. Like me now, I'm kind of jaded by horror, so I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I kind of get it, but. This basement sequence is pretty good. I have to. Admit. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's very effective, and sh knowing how like ineffective Steven is makes it mm -hmm. even better. Yeah, that that's actually true. His, his incompetence actually adds to this. It's like, oh, yeah. what? There's a noise back there. I'm still just digging around. And yeah, yeah, if it was Ken Forey and if it was Ken Forey in that room, it wouldn't be scary at all. Because it's like, yeah, he can handle one guy, yeah, but yeah, he's got Steven no now. Um, yeah, the store mannequin jump scare got me. I was surprised. Uh, it's very cleverly set up i mm -hmm. i applauded that big time because uh, when we first get into the department store uh, roger is zipping around and we're all hooting and hollering because you know mm -hmm. we're like literal kids in a candy store right now but it, yeah we, we go on a shopping spree we'll get to the candy store yeah <laughs> we got to work our way down down to that section of the mall first we mm -hmm. gotta get to the department store but um as he's running through this department store um he actually does a double take at the sight of a mannequin and mm. the camera actually like focuses on it and we see him like straighten up and like are we gonna go it's like oh it's a mannequin and then he just runs past um but yeah later on we do get a jump scare where he's just running along and something that we the audience think is a mannequin like tackles him and it's yeah. like mm -hmm. a fucking zombie it's, it's like, like wow fuck. that's that's clever I, yes. I enjoyed that um there uh I, I forget how the 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 krishna zombie kind of make i guess he sees roger come out does he see Roger come out of there, or is it Steven? Well, the the Krishna zombie, we don't quite get there. There's there's a couple of things that happen in between, um, but we're introduced to them visually pretty mm -hmm. much as soon as the mall comes to life. But it's a zombie. It takes he's, a while for them to get anywhere. Yeah, he sticks <laughs> out though. He's it's like one of those zombies. It's one of those people that kind of stick out as a as an extra or like kind of a background thing. But you know to keep your eye on it. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. Funny. No, like I said, there there are several zombies that stand out from the crowd. There's the really grossly overweight one in the swim trunks that yeah. <laughs> falls into the fountain later on. There's the nurse with the big hair. Um, and, yeah, the rifle zombie a little later on. But, yeah, the Hare Krishna one even gets, like, a close-up. Um, and, I mean, come on, their outfit gives them away 100%. It was the 70s. Like, Airplane had a grand old time with the Hare Krishnas in that one. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, the sequence with Steven in the, in the basement, like the generator room, he, he finds a revolver and the floor plan for the whole building. But like you guys had said, a very good sequence. Um, he almost gets mauled by this one zombie, <laughs> um, just this one shambling 
incompetent zombie. Um, but it's like a duel of incompetence because like <laughs> it's like is this idiot with the gun gonna be able to handle this idiot with no brain? <laughs> and it's like uh, just barely is the answer. Um, but yeah, really nice use of disorienting shadows here and him just being a terrible shot. And I um, love the the sound effects of every time he shoots at it, you can hear the bullet just like bing 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 like a pinball machine almost going over the yeah. whole boiler room. Yeah, it's straight out of a Warner Brothers cartoon. It's mm-hmm. it's a little silly, but um, combination of there's a lot of like handheld camera work in this sequence which stands out because there's not a whole lot of that in this movie i think that's what Um, adds to it i think the handheld works yeah big time but um yeah both uh both flyboy and ken forey get in fights simultaneously like separate from each other and we get to see ken forey fucking chuck a dude off a balcony yeah (laughs) i was like that's how it's done man that's awesome yeah Like, uh, when, don't, don't don't wrestle with the zombie. Just get rid of him. <laughs> Savini goes over the ledge, right? Yes. I think he it. It doesn't even look like a like a stunt man. It looks like him jump like falling off the balcony. I could I mean, be wrong. And, he and Tasso were crazy guys. They were wild and crazy guys. He was a nom. Like just <laughs> like falling off a balcony ain't a big deal. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we get a. A neat character beat here where a flyboy is wrestling with a zombie and uh ken forey's trying to call him over and he's like don't don't you go back to the office because you'll lead the zombies to fran and he's like he's like admonishing him he's like hey i know what i know what your gut is telling you to do to run up those stairs but you need to come to me otherwise fran's gonna have a real bad time um and we get this moment where like flyboy goes ah (laughs) <laughs> he just kind of like he's he just uh, like what is it like uh oh it's Bowfinger when uh when uh, Eddie Murphy has to run across the freeway <laughs> like, oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> like, um yeah and he manages to run past a couple of zombies and uh we are united at this point like mm-hmm. he he is joined by the two SWAT guys and uh good acting on everyone's part you can tell that they there's a sense of camaraderie that's starting to form now it's like he's no longer 100 percent the outsider with the good hair although i'm sure they still resent him for it (laughs) (laughs) one thing i like about this movie is just the way that the characters grow to connect with each other and i mean it could partly be budget the fact that there's really only four main characters in the film but i think that really works because i Personally, I think you do grow to care about all of them, and you really appreciate the friendship that grows between the four of our group. Yeah, no, I I think I liked every one of the principal cast, and that's that's a hard task to accomplish mm-hmm. with any film in any genre. Um, but it's here where we get the uh, the mannequin jump scare and a screwdriver to the ear, um, which is a tasty mm-hmm. gag. Um, really yeah. like that. It's it's good because anybody who's ever like put a Q-tip in their ear too far just like knows that feeling. Oh yeah, what? just watching watching that paint blood pool inside the ear. It's like yeah, Whoa. yeah. Now and I gotta say, there's one point. Um, Roger puts the screwdriver in his ear, and then in just like a couple minutes, I think it's when they try and get in the vent. They need a screwdriver. And he goes and grabs a fresh screwdriver off the shelf. He should have just grabbed the screwdriver that he'd already used. I mean, you know, waste not, want not. Well, I mean, that, again, that probably speaks to the way this movie was shot. Yeah. It's like, it's like, do we have that guy today? It's like, no. <laughs> he, he, like he's, he's back. He went back to see his relatives or whatever. He's like, shit. <laughs> like, but yeah, it would be cool to have a bit of continuity. Because he even says, like, I know where the tools are. 
Mm-hmm. That'd be so great if you just like ran up to the dead zombie and went. <laughs> that'd be awesome, actually. That that's a neat thing that they could have done, but shoulda, woulda, coulda. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're hauling stuff with a wheelbarrow, uh, so supplies including like radio and tv because we want to try to maintain contact with the outside world apparently i didn't see any of the supplies he mentions right we need the essentials radio tv and then i didn't see anything else in the wheelbarrow i think the tv is like it has like a white frame to it it doesn't look like a tv it's really mm. small for the 70s especially um but yeah we're, we're doing this routine where we're continually like taunting the zombies and luring them to different parts of the store so we can leave through the other exit um but yeah uh, this is where the Hare krishna starts to come and come to the fore where uh, we see them like shambling along and they they found the door up to the office where fran is and it needs to be said uh as far as i recall steve took the gun Mm-hmm. Um, and mean meaning she is completely defenseless for the most part. Um, I mean, this guy is the size of fucking Seth Green, so he's not too menacing of a of a zombie. Like... DJ Qual zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, but yeah. Uh, meanwhile, as this Hari Krishna is very, very, very slowly making his way up to the office, our boys have a chat in a carpet store, more, uh, more ugly carpet. Um, uh, and Ken Forey decides he wants to stick. Uh, like he, he thinks like, hey, I think we can, I think we can set up shop here. It seems manageable. We should mention something about the shopping mall too. Um, so different. I've been to a few different countries, and shopping malls are kind of. Our malls are kind of different. Like in Asia, uh, the only malls I've seen where there's grocery stores attached to the, to the shopping mall itself. Um, most of our malls are like outlet, like um, like like outlet stores, Macy's. You have you know basic mall stuff. This one has a gun store in it and and a grocery store. Which I was this something that that they used to be? I'm guessing because we don't see them like come from like the like the shopping mall into the grocery store it's just kind of we don't actually see the grocery store we actually just see them kind of picking stuff out um from the aisles so is this was this a thing before were there grocery stores attached to malls um the crossroads mall in bellevue has a qfc built into it and that's okay i think i think that's an older shopping center and uh also it needs to be said kyle good observation um the gun store was a separate location it was a separate location. Yes. So it wasn't actually a fixture in the mall that we shot the majority of the movie in. Okay. Okay. Which yeah. is convenient for convenient for the plot. I like how mm-hmm. everybody who ever played Dead Rising always made a beeline for the gun store. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like this game is not manageable unless we raid the gun store immediately. <laughs> the gun store, and I knew exactly where the samurai sword would respawn. So I just, those, those two places just, you know, hang out there. Yeah. Uh, that and uh, you need what three orange juices to <laughs> and uh yeah stay away from the clown he'll fuck you up <laughs> save him li- for much later <laughs> in life just stay away from clowns honestly yeah just stay stay away from clowns. stay the fuck inside and stay away from clowns <laughs> nothing good happens near clowns nothing <laughs> um but yeah uh, we decide that we're gonna stay in the mall and uh Flyboy uh, references the map and he points out that he knows of some uh, John McClane style air ducts that they can mm-hmm. use to get back to the office, uh, avoiding the zombies entirely. Um, meanwhile, uh, the Hare Krishna is in the stairwell and making its way towards Fran. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also where we get introduced to the gun store. We don't go there yet, uh, but we do find it via the ducts. So it's like, hmm, put a pin in that. Um, (laughs) and uh, this is where we get to see that Fran is lacking in uh, uh, 
what upper body strength um she's having <laughs> she can't raise the door <laughs> yeah and it's, having... it's dj qual zombie and can't she can't hold the door shut five foot three dj qualls i think yeah. dj qualls is a little little taller um this is also something that i like in zombie movies is it you have to kind of think about it like being an astronaut you have to think of every little thing that can go wrong like don't shoot the gun in here then they'll all come up here they're all going to find their way up here um which i think kind of gets lost in some some of them it also is like a big plot point in movies like we have to create as much noise as possible to distract them which i wanted to, to raise this up and ask you guys why didn't they instead of trying to waste ammo and kill all of them in the mall which they do eventually um why not like spend the time draw them all into one side since they can't break glass apparently draw them onto one side of the department store get everything you need out of there bring them all in there and just close them off so that they're stuck in that one location i mean that makes besides the plot besides the plot yeah uh, <laughs> that, makes, cool. that makes all the sense in the world <laughs> Well, one thing I will say about when you're talking about the breaking glass, are you talking about like with the front door when they're they can't get in through the front door type thing? Yeah, and they can't get into the to the glass wherever they are when they you know when they the the department store when they're going in and out with that door. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. I know with the the front door, the reason that they can't break the glass is when they put the truck up there, mm-hmm. only like a, a few zombies can squeeze in between the space between the glass door and the truck. Which where is if there smart. was. A, enough room like if there was like hundreds of zombies pushing in maybe the glass would probably give way but the way they had it with the truck there is one of the main reasons why the glass won't break there and why didn't they have the gates down that was something steph and i were watching like why didn't they put the gates down they eventually do at the end of the movie i'm like why why were the gates not down the entire time after you cleared it like ah. yeah that's a good point Sorry. Kyle, Kyle would be the guy that hangs back in the office and just like groans over the the walkie-talkie constantly, just like, ah, you guys. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I was like, you guys suck at planning. God, I'm just going to well, eat more spam and do nothing to help you. <laughs> an- another thing that they do that uh, I guess is kind of worth noting is when they turn down the power and the music and stuff, mm-hmm. that's what turned on the escalators. And before that, they said that there were har- hardly any to no zombies on the second floor. So when they turned on the escalators, that's where all the zombies came up on the second floor. Interesting. So might have been not the smartest. I mean, they probably would have needed power at some point, but uh, to just turn it on immediately and bring up that horde was not the smartest idea. Yeah. Well, that that's one of the more genuinely unsettling aspects of the movie because it's it's not a terribly frightening movie for the most part. There's a lot of very tense sequences where you're like, is that guy going to get bit now? It's like, no, it'll be like 20 minutes before that happens. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But one of the more unsettling aspects of the movie is just that air of inevitability where we constantly get reminders that them intruding on the mall is kind of like an invasive species where it's like, yes, yes, you're, you're carving out a niche for yourself, um, but given no opportunity to flourish, it's only a matter of time before, you know, the, the species that calls this place home is going to overtake you. And by the time we get to the end of this movie, it's exactly that, where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, the status quo is retained. Like it only took one, one, one intrusion from an outside force that caused everything to go back to exactly how it was. Um, but yeah, uh, the Hari Krishna breaks into the up- upstairs office. Uh, Fran tries to fight it back with a flare, and I actually objected to this a little bit. Um, she holds the flare up to the zombie's face, and it shields itself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
I know, I know this is a common thing in zombie movies to have them maybe not fear fire, but react to fire. Um, but to me personally, I think it would make more sense for them to pay no mind to it. Mm-hmm. Where, where it's just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure the actor in real life doesn't like staring into a fucking road <laughs> flare. So I don't, I don't blame the actor for doing that if that was their natural impulse. Yeah. Um, they do say that the zombies at one point, they say they operate on pure motorized instinct. So I can maybe see with when they get the, you know, the, uh, the fire, the, you know, canisters going and they've got the little blowtorch thing to move the zombies away. That maybe makes a little sense where if the zombie was feeling enough heat, maybe it would back off and not go into it if it was operating on instinct. But uh, yeah, the flare, just a bright light and maybe a few sparks probably wouldn't steer the zombie off very much. Yeah, yeah actually... I mean, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I don't even know if these things feel pain. Um, yeah, that's true, too. See, Brad, you're in a good position if there ever is an, a zombie apocalypse because uh, they have to survive a Michigan winter, which I don't yeah. think they will. <laughs> no, no, no. The west side of the state, they'll be done for. They'll just be yeah. stuck in the snow. <laughs> Alaskans, are, Alaskans will take over the United States after the zombie apocalypse because they will survive. <laughs> yeah, and they probably have a lot of guns up there, too. I'm not, yes, I'm not sure, but I'm sure they do. <laughs> Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, as Kyle had mentioned, um, we we decide not to shoot the Hare Krishna. Um, mm-hmm. All of our all of our heroes reunite in the upstairs office. And instead, they bash its head in. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they just knocked it out. That That's why I was curious, because I'm like, ooh, they're, they knocked him out, and then they just kind of put him in wherever the guy with the Pepsi can got shot in Terminator 2. Uh, they put him back in like like the hallway back there, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna end up like he's not gonna be dead, and he's gonna be a problem later. But he abs- he actually isn't, and that's why I was gonna ask you about him. Like, did they kill him? And because he's missing later too. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> okay. He's the, dead. <laughs> maybe, was, maybe I was writing down a note. It didn't look like they, it like they just hit him with the butt of the gun, and he was just out or something. You, one does not knock a zombie unconscious. In fact, I don't know if that's possible. Um, I mean, they're already undead. I don't think you can separate them from their consciousness without eliminating them. Possibly, yeah. Uh, possibly. I'll need to. I'll, I'll need to research this. Yeah, um, logic out of this. Um, but yeah, Fran is not handling things very well at the moment. Um, but anyway, all of our all of our group, uh, we sip some Jack Daniels and we listen to the radio. And uh, Fran has a smoke like Linda Hamilton in T two, um, <laughs> as in she doesn't fucking take a single puff on that thing she just, just lets it burn the fuck out and we also learned that she is pregnant which is perhaps why she's not smoking even mm-hmm. though she's completing the ritual of lighting up a cigarette well, they totally still smoke back then i think she's just linda hamilton she's just like I don't, i'm not a smoker i'm not gonna be dragging on this uh you could absolutely smoke pregnant back then uh, <laughs> watching um, mad minutes insane we get some uh, dark shit here where uh, ken yeah. forey just kind of throws it out there it's like oh she's pregnant I can help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I know how. It's like, whoa. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck kind of environment you grew up in, but apparently it was not a happy place. Under the circumstances, I think she should probably take him up on his offer. Uh, we have no idea what the zombie apocalypse is going to bring. Uh, maybe bringing human life into this situation isn't a great idea. Kind of kind of cocky if you ask me <laughs> like oh no no we'll, we'll take care of this no problem don't worry about that we'll, we'll shield a child easily from the zombie apocalypse well i don't know what the status of that particular discussion was like in this country in 1978 mm. but i'm sure it, it was, was not just, yeah i'm sure it was just as heated as it is today it was probably 80 20 back then 80 being pro-life i would say 
I have no idea, but I'm sure it, I'm sure this sequence set some people off. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for Fran, I mean, when your two choices are bringing a child into this uh, world that is a hellish landscape or having uh, Ken Forey be your doctor, I think uh, it's, it's a lose-lose <laughs> either way. So, I mean, I can't falter for keeping the baby. Have, have you seen this man's hands? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, do you really want him to help you with this? Yeah. I don't believe that man's ever been to medical school. <laughs> 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 he gives off a Candyman vibe. It's really putting me on edge. <laughs> yeah, if a dude the size of Ken Foray is like, yeah, I could take care of that for you. Like, uh, no, I, I'm fine. I'll have to <laughs> <laughs> Um But yeah, uh, we have a montage of the radio talking about the zombies, um, basically re- reiterating all the things that we, you know, consumers of zombie media are already intimately familiar with just things about their nature and their behavior patterns and stuff and uh we get to just see a montage of zombies dicking around in the mall and it's all very interesting like it reeks of like i think i was saying off air uh, just like shoot everything like yes we have the mall from these hours to these hours we have x number of extras let's just have people do shit in the mall and then i can figure it out in editing and sure mm-hmm. enough we get like zombies throwing mannequins around we get one falling into a fountain and like grabbing handfuls of change mm. uh, we get some dicking around on a hockey rink that <laughs> it's like that's fun zombies on ice fuck yes <laughs> um but yeah this is where the the quote pure motorized instinct comes up um in regards to the how the zombies operate and this eye-patched guy i i had mm. to i had to check on who this guy was because i did he, too Kyle, do you want to you want to oh, fill us in? No, you go ahead. Uh, I'm just saying. I I also had to to check out who it was. Okay, well, he's what? I think he's a a collaborator with uh, George Romero. I think they've worked together on other things. As far as I know, he's like a playwright or something. Um, I want to say this is Richard France. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally wrong. Um, he could be someone else, but yeah, he's like a playwright or something, and he he looks like. Francis Ford Coppola or yeah. something. <laughs> All I could think of when I saw him on screen was like, just keep going, just keep moving across. We're just gonna keep shooting. Don't look at the camera. Just keep going. <laughs> um, but yeah, he has an eye patch for some reason, and he is he is absolutely terrifying in this movie. Some of the things mm-hmm. he has to say are, and the way he says them, he, he's got a lot of really nasty things to say about the way the world works and what he thinks we should do about the zombies. Yeah. Now. Do you guys think uh, the eye patch that he has? Do you think he got that pre or post zombie apocalypse? <laughs> I think that's a pr- I think that's a pre. I think th- that's that what I like, like to think too. Got yeah, he got in like a bar fight or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I he's definitely no had his ass beat in a bar before. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> lost, he lost that eye in a bar fight. <laughs> I mean, he's got a mouth on him, so I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, all of our crew we're kind of starting to unite fully now, where it's like Fran makes it known that she doesn't want to be the damsel in distress she wants to she wants to be taught how to use a gun she wants to know how to fly the chopper even which nobody else yeah. asks about and that's probably the first thing i'd want to know physically mm-hmm. she reminded me so much of caitlin olsen uh sweet d from it's always sunny mm. in philadelphia like mm-hmm. every time i saw my like, man she looks like she could be sweet d <laughs> yeah yeah 
I, I really like that beat with her of uh, saying that she doesn't want to, this to be a boys club and her the den mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I read online that originally at one point, George Romero wanted her to scream in terror and, you know, be a classic scream queen. And she said she didn't want to because she thought it took away from her strong female character. And uh, watching it this time, I don't think she screams at all throughout the movie. I don't Yeah, no. I don't think I remember it at all. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't remember that at all. And it, I think it's a I think it's the right move. Yeah, because we we got um, what was it? They're they're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> they're coming for you, Barbara. <laughs> like we got that in the first one where she was just worthless. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean and- the 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 last quarter of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. It it's it gets annoying after a while because she's <laughs> screaming frantically the whole time, frantically. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, hats off. It was good performance from her part, but like after a while, you're just like, stop, stop it. Kill her. Kill her with the chainsaw, please. <laughs> Get it over with. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I understand where she's coming from because these, these three dudes, she's checked up with three dudes and they just keep they leaving have, her. And she's like, hey, you know, it's kind of cool that you guys are getting a lot done out there, but I'm here alone <laughs> without a weapon and you guys keep leaving me. This is not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we get an exchange between her and Flyboy who... Uh, is the father so the two of them are very much an item and uh th- he gets kind of snippy with her it's like, <laughs> uh, he gets all pissy because she asked that a gun be left with her and basically i took this as like him taking it as a challenge to his manhood or something where it's like oh you don't think i'm capable of defending you or like handling this weapon and she's like no i don't <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's exactly what i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah he gives her an eye roll like it's like if Ken Forey saw it, he's not in the room when it happens. If he saw that, he'd, he'd probably shoot him a look like that. wasn't cool, man. Like, I was like, I keep mm-hmm. a lid on it. Like, but, um, yeah, uh, this is where we get the truck sequence. And this is like half an hour of this yeah, movie. The music during this sequence was driving me insane. I, I, the rest of the soundtrack is fine. This, I couldn't stand. This, the, the song during the, the, the music during this sequence. Uh, it's a little bouncy. It's a little fun. It has some plinks and plunks in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the music is weird because it it very seldom like truly matches the scene. Like it, it's always just a little bit elevated, um, in like in stark contrast to what's happening on the screen. Um, but basically, the gist of this very very long sequence is a uh, we're taking the chopper out to like a truck yard. And we're hot wiring trucks to use to secure the mall, as in park them in front of the entrance so the zombies don't have room to stand in front of the doors. Um, and basically, it involves Flyboy like flying us out there, and then the two SWAT guys piling into trucks, and uh, Ken Forey driving back and forth, hauling Roger to different trucks so he can he can drive with him, <laughs> and and we get to see every beat in this process. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is more to. I mean to guess uh, to set up Rogers' um, situation, uh, but he's lollygagging and being cocky. Like he's, I, I guess this would be liberating, like being in a situation like this where you don't have to answer to anybody. It's kind of survival, but it's not even survival in the traditional sense where you have to hunt, like go hunt things. It's like we just have to consume the stuff that we have near us. So it's like a vacation almost, and mm-hmm. there's no end to it. So. I kind of get where he's at. He's just like, yeah, fucking dude, having a blast. But you need to, you need to grasp the situation. There are fucking zombies around here, man. Yeah. 
I think I like this uh, sequence a little more than you guys. One of the things I really like about this movie is how much of it is just like completing tasks. And I don't know, I, I just I find something so satisfying about that. Like, because it, it really does take you for the first two thirds of this movie. It's like beat by beat by beat how they set up in this mall, how that what they do to you know secure it, and then there there is a time jump as the film goes on. But I, I like following this, and I agree it does go on a little long but i think you get some some good character moments between um uh roger and peter while they're talking over the the radio they're talking about their height which i think is uh pretty funny (laughs) appropriate yeah no it's funny this tends to happen i guess whenever i do episodes with you brad but um as we're talking about this i'm starting to come around to liking this sequence a bit more and it's because it's occurring to me that um this is this is how you set up like genuine suspense and horror is that you create you create a sense of security um like you said there there is like a sense of satisfaction that comes with completing tasks and whatnot and the energy level is elevated like like the way these two characters are talking to each other you can tell they're having a good time Mm -hmm. even though they're in constant danger while doing this um but this is how you disarm an audience this is how you put people off balance is when you create this familiar rhythm of going back and forth and back and forth and then it's been like 20 minutes and it's like, Oh, he's been fine every single time. And it's like, you, you know, in the back of your mind, he's not going to be fine eventually, but it calls into question when, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's kind of like that, that uh, famous shot from the exorcist three with the, the snippy snippy where it's like, <laughs> you're just watching nothing for so yeah. long. And it's only because you watched nothing for so long that it's truly effective. And they kind of pull a similar trick here where it's like when Roger finally gets bit, spoiler alert, um, it it comes after like 20 minutes of watching him constantly get get away from really dangerous situations and it's 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 actually kind of funny because it happens when they do a return trip when it's like Mm -hmm. he has a slip up and then it leads to a a really 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 bad slip up yeah Uh, but kyle did you have something uh no i was gonna say like what adds to it is that they get away and he's like fuck i don't have the keys now we have to go back into it like shit that i think that was effective yeah it was just maybe if we cut out like two minutes and got to that it would have been better but this isn't well, a bad sequence it's just the it was the music that kind of that kind of well maybe maybe you need to watch the argento cut then i think i kind of yeah I, I'm, I didn't even know that was a thing i kind of want to see that now i'm that, that's gonna be curious I, I think it did get some sort of physical release in the past couple of years because i remember hearing somebody on a podcast talk about it and they they said they didn't like it as much as the romero cut but uh I'm, I'm definitely curious because i do love argento i mean i think overall i like argento better than romero but i I, I don't think I would like his cut of this film better, but I mean, I'm definitely curious to check it out. They both pretty much stay in one lane from what I can understand. Um, mm-hmm. I would probably lean a little bit more towards uh, Argento just for like set design and stuff like that. I, I yeah. yeah. But as far as like story goes, I'm not a big slasher fan. So I actually kind of want to check out some more of Romero's uh, movies. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it needs to be said this, this movie has, a life of its own overseas where it was titled zombie and got sequels in name only uh, to it to the extent that it became like almost like a final fantasy situation for zombie movies where it's like hang on this movie's called zombie 2 but there was no zombie 1 <laughs> it's like what are we doing here guys um so yeah i wouldn't be surprised if like the italian version or the argento cut of the movie 
uh, is regarded as like the can- canonical version of of the movie and the franchise in in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, Zombie but, the Argento cut is on YouTube as well. Oh, well, there you go. Um, Roger has one of the better quotes in the movie uh, during the truck sequence. Um, we got this, man. We got this by the ass. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I didn't write that down. I did take note of that. <laughs> no, I I say that from time to time because it's it's glorious. Although occasionally. Like over the years, I I, I constantly forget where it comes from, and then when I rewatched this, I was like, "Oh shit, that's where that that's where that thing I say all the time comes from." <laughs> um, and I noticed a zombie here that I thought may have been Tom Zavini, um, but I I don't know. I don't know if he was also credited as a zombie on top of being a, a biker slash raider. I feel like uh, he would want to. I feel like he would want to be like just. I don't think he would be accredited. I think he would just be a zombie. So I wouldn't. It surprised i mean i wouldn't be surprised if george romero was like short as an extra or two and he was like hey tom you want to get hit by a car today he's like sure (laughs) hey tasso you want to come with (laughs) um but yeah roger gets bit on the arm and the leg um, while trying to retrieve his bag that he left behind yeah idiot did not see that coming (laughs) um and uh earlier it needs to be said uh his rifle uh, was taken by a zombie when we were breaking into the department store and we also see that zombie still carrying a rifle mm-hmm. in the background during the sequence and uh won't be the last time we see him uh, cut to upstairs and roger's all bandaged up um it doesn't look good um, we we get the <laughs> sense that when he was bitten like the orchestra sting that happens there kind of tells us the viewer that i mean the the rules for zombie movies weren't really in place in 1978 just yet um so mm-hmm. I mean, every zombie movie has its own rules. And like in Resident Evil, for instance, if you get bit, you get infected. Um, in Night of the Living Dead, I, I want to say you have to expire before you turn into a zombie. Hmm. Um, you don't just get bit and the infection overtakes you. You have to die and then you become a zombie. Um, and also in Night of the Living Dead, the zombies came about via a cosmic event of some sort. <laughs> at, least that, at least that was theorized. It, like It's yeah. never confirmed, but... So every movie has its own rules. Apparently in this one, it's some sort of infection. Uh, so you, you get bit, you turn. Um, Ken Forey at some point tells us, I think it, like he's never seen anyone last more than three days. Put a pin in that. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Ken Forey and Flyboy head to the gun store. And uh, the jungle music in here, complete with like chimpanzee hootings, <laughs> is, is uh, kind of silly. <laughs> Um, yeah, the wild animal noises. Yeah. <laughs> just exactly what you want to hear while you're buying a deadly weapon. I mean, that's not going to set anybody off at all. I mean, just just a great idea from that gun store. Yeah, uh, it's a little kitschy. But um, yeah, we, we have a montage of grabbing guns and stuff. Um, a lot of a lot of rifles and six shooters. And Ken Forey even pockets a Derringer. I was like, what the yeah. fuck are you going to do with that? He's going as a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Like, an old west gonna, prostitute you're gonna shoot wild bill in the back of the head after a card game with that thing what? his head's too big for that to do any damage i'm gonna use it to shoot my dick off later like there's nothing you can use that for uh, yeah, that's I'm, what, and i'm sure you would miss too <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um oh, but, but yeah we we yeah, we but, run off um and uh we do the lone wolf and club 
routine with uh, Peter and Roger, where uh, Roger is in a wheelbarrow with a mm-hmm. pistol. <laughs> and uh, we, we try to relocate here. So we make it to the department store. All of us are armed to the teeth, and we have Roger in a wheelbarrow. It looks like a lot of fun. And he's shooting, <laughs> he's shooting zombies on the run. And uh, this is where we start using uh, torches to, like, ward off the zombies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I... And, they didn't seem to be very effective, like within the story. Like she had the flare, and the guy was like kind of covering his arm, but he was still coming after her. Um, so that's why I was like, "What are the blowtorches for?" Like it's not really gonna do much against him. I guess it's a little extra something. Well, mm-hmm. unpaid extras and fire are not a safe combination. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine you would not want to have those people on set together like that. Like. Anybody who's trying to give an actual performance with fire and stuff uh-huh. involved, it's like make make Savini all of the zombies because I don't I don't want to get any liability here. I don't want I don't want Fran to get like all sorts of guilt burning people's faces off because she got too into the moment. <laughs> Savini had nothing in his contract covering injury, so they're like, yeah, throw Savini off there. We don't give a shit. He's just yeah. a guy. <laughs> he loved it. He didn't care. He was into it. Yeah, yeah you could tell too, but. Um, yeah, Flyboy almost gets himself killed because he uh, he has the keys on on this fancy leather belt he's got, and uh, he can't get them off. He's trying to hand them off to Fran, and he just cannot get those keys off. He's like Eddie Carr in uh, The Lost World, uh, trapped trapped in that BMW, <laughs> no, trapped in that Mercedes. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Roger. Uh, we come up with a plan where there is a car parked in the center of the mall, which is a common display, at least it used to be in a lot of malls. And uh, clearly he's an experienced hot wirer of cars. Uh, so they, they cart his ass over there. He uh, hot wires this car, but he does get grabbed on his calf, which happens to be his exposed wound. And it's a juicy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's one of the more painful to watch moments mm. of the whole movie. Well, he's, it's got about, nasty. he's about as coordinated as fucking... Uh, Matthew Lillard at the end of Scream after he's been stabbed about three times. He's like, <laughs> like just trying to stay up. I'm like, I do they have him? Like they show a little bit later him. Um, they're giving him morphine because he's you know on his last leg. Uh, I'm assuming he was on morphine during this sequence because he looks like kind of fucked up during this part. Uh, probably. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, in his own words, he's looking a little bit woozy. but uh we get a fun bit where a fran uh helps helps a zombie that's been that's trying to break into the department store it has its dress cut in the door that she shut and she opens it just for a moment so it can free its dress and it just kind of like pauses and walks off (laughs) i think it's a nun yeah yeah it's like it's like a zombie thank you (laughs) it was a cute little scene i liked it yeah she just just off. there's a lot of those in this movie and that's the little details are what make this movie in a lot of ways Um, because like from a visual standpoint aside from like the basement sequence um, with steven and maybe some of the early stuff in the tenement building it's kind of a flatly lit film because they probably just had the the mall lights and whatever they could scrounge up so from a visual standpoint it is lacking a little bit but the character beats and stuff like that and the choice the choices made in editing really make for a stellar package but we get the car rolling and uh we we do just like we did with the trucks uh we zip from one end of the mall to the other uh locking the doors so we're planning on completely sealing the mall and presumably el- eliminating all the remaining zombies therein 
See, this would have been the first three hours of me being in the mall. Like, this is what I would have been taking care of. And it's like, you guys have been there for a few days now. Like, why is this taking so long? Yeah, it took them a while to get there. But we get another fun character beat where uh, Fran is loading a gun. And she she has this, like, she makes eye contact with this childlike zombie. That's like, it's like a grown man, but in, like, a Little League outfit. (laughs) And they sit down and they just, like, stare at each other for a bit. And... I noticed like a baby crying on the soundtrack. I did like, too. Yeah, it was weird. Um, I get what they're trying to do here, where it's like she's thinking of the concept of like motherhood and stuff like that in in this current situation. But it's just mm-hmm. strange. It's like if it wasn't from the seventies, it would probably be like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> <It's Yeah>. like, <laughs> um, I, I love all the different uh, zombies in here, though, because you watch a lot of zombie movies, and a lot of the zombies are dressed pretty much like just very plainly and it's kind of like their you know their makeup and their disfigurement that sets them apart but i like that this one you know they look like an assortment of different people who got turned into zombies which i think is kind of cool well yeah they're meant to be a reflection of us and it's it's appropriate that they should be pretty ordinary um like day of the dead like i think that is my favorite of of the first three dead movies but there's a couple of zombie performances in there that are a little loud for my taste. There's a, there's a woman in particular that is just fucking going for it. Like she's got the Frankenstein like stiff arms out in front and she's doing all sorts of weird fucking performance art faces and stuff. It's like dial it back, lady. It's like the, the zombies in Dawn of the Dead are very they're kind of like passive for the most part. They're just like a mm-hmm. shambling horde that they're not even terribly aggressive. They just if if you're warm and and look like you taste good they they make a reach but they don't chase you they're just like yeah i'll get you next time <laughs> i'll get you on the way back <laughs> um but yeah uh we've locked all the doors at this point and we survey things from above and uh we get like a funereal tone on the soundtrack here as we're like surveying all the mall from above and there's just like dead zombies everywhere mm-hmm. um so i guess we did a good job um cleaning up although there's more of that to be done. Um, but yeah, uh, Fran has made a makeshift bed for Roger, and uh, this is where that line of dialogue gets tossed out there that's like, you know, I haven't really seen anyone not turned into a zombie like in more than three days. So everybody's kind of keeping an eye on Roger in the back of their, in the back of their, in the corner of their eye, rather. Um, we get a really sad exchange of dialogue here that I thought was very effective where like Roger's kind of delirious and he keeps calling out, uh, we whipped him, didn't we? And Ken Forey's not even in the same room with him. So they're just shouting at each other. And like Ken Forey just has his head down. He's like, yep, we whipped him. And he's like, yeah, man, we totally whipped him. He's like, yep, you're going to die soon. But yeah, we totally whipped him. <laughs> it's, it's sad. And the way it's framed is very effective where you get all the emotional content with with very little of it spelled out to you it's just like you, you get what you get what the atmosphere is here um but yeah we all have new clothes at this point by the way <laughs> they don't, it, it's kind of funny they don't really know each other until they get to the mall but they have like the yafet koto and uh uh harry, harry dean, dean stanton. stanton yeah they have like that kind of rapport with each other like they, they've known each other for years um it's interesting how it kind of kicks in and then it really kind of weighs on them heavy here yeah I think that I think that's like a maybe like a bit of a blue collar thing or like military slash blue collar where if you're you're in a shit situation with a person long enough, you develop a bit of camaraderie in that you've both been in it together. 
boot camp it takes you about two weeks to to find a good friend <laughs> that yeah yeah i i do find the the relationships believable i mean you know obviously this only takes their relationships build only over a couple of days and we only see a, somewhat of a fraction of that but i think it, it's very believable and very built up well very well done Oh yeah, no. I, I actually really like Roger as a character, even though he's a little bit of a shit heel um, mm-hmm. towards the end of his his lifetime in this in the story. But, <laughs> his lifetime. <laughs> um, but I, I like that he, you know, you feel an absence when he's gone, and that that speaks to his quality as a character. Um, but yeah, we get to work cleaning up all the dead zombies. And why the fuck did they put them in the fridge? The freezer. They put them in the freezer. With See, all the asked, fresh food? That's what Steph's... It's exactly what Steph's... She's like, why are they putting them in the freezer with all the fresh food? I'm like, well, they haven't really got their kitchen set up at this point. Um, they should take the food out of there, but I honestly, if you don't want them to stink and mm-hmm. the freezer is working, that's a good place to stick them. Um, there so, there yeah. is an order of operations. that You take the food out, then you put the zombies in. I agree with that wholeheartedly, <laughs> but I do not disagree with the idea of putting them in the freezer. No, yeah, I, I maybe saw, they were already starting to smell. I saw tomatoes in there, man. Like, <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> but yeah, we put all the zombies in the freezer, never to be seen again. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a montage here uh, where we, we steal some money from the till. And uh, yeah, you guys want to like point out some highlights here of where we're uh, where we're at in the mall? Yeah, this is this is a good montage. They go to the bank and they uh, they just take money. Like this is real money too. Like I can spot fake money in a movie. Like they're really taking money out of here. It looks like um, and they like smile towards the camera and then they go grocery shopping, which was why which is why I was confused. I'm like, wait, there's a grocery store in here, but they're like they're getting some good shit. What's he eating? What is uh what is Roger eating in the wheelbarrow? Is it olives or he starts drinking the juice? I couldn't tell what it was. It's yellow. it's yellow and i want to say it's a pickled something or other pickles Mm -hmm. pigs pickled pig testicle or something um (laughs) something disgusting yeah yeah i think with that with that hairline i would expect that roger is comfortable eating whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i'm surprised it took him this long to go grocery shopping Um, yeah and i i do think with this sort of shopping montage you're starting to get a little bit of that uh consumerism again that george romero is poking at how you know the world is kind of just like over outside but they're having a grand old time in the mall shopping which i think most people would probably have fun going through a mall and picking out stuff even though it's almost all essentially worthless like trying on new clothes and fur coats and even with when they go to the bank they take the money and i think it's ken furry he's like he's you, you never know we might want to we might, might want to take this even though it's like well probably not but hey yeah. i mean it's, i guess it's worth grabbing but yeah uh, we we get to see everybody like pocket a bunch of bulk candy we all get new clothes uh, fran goes for like a turn on the ice uh, we go to an arcade we play some old fashioned arcade machines that Ooh. look pretty fucking sweet the the driving game that he was playing, I had like a little miniature thing of this, and it was yeah, it was just um like a sticker, and you were just going around a lit up track. That looks awful. Uh, why didn't we get any of the other good games? Like, uh, what was the popular like games at this time, Trevor? Like the arcade. Nineteen seventy eight. I mean, yeah. it, as far as like video games were concerned, I think we were still in like the asteroids era. <laughs> like, I don't even just think we were. I don't think we got into Space Invaders yet. Oh, <laughs> we got into Space Invaders yet. 
A- Asteroids cost uh, three quarters to play, and the game they play cost two quarters, so it was a budget issue. They, they saved a couple couple cents on this one. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, Romero was like, nah. We... <laughs> was like, we're, not, okay. yeah, we're not spending three quarters, guys. That's that's a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> it's like, and you need to understand, I'm paying Savini in cigarettes. So like, <laughs> that's the budget, man. It's cigarettes and nude pictures of my uh, my cousin. So yeah, this we don't have the budget for this. <laughs> um, but yeah in a stark contrast to this delightful little montage um, we get a really awesome cut where uh, we cut from like roger playing this this racing game um to everybody standing on a balcony and we're all dressed to the nines but, like we all got fur coats and uh the mall is sealed but the zombies are still trying to get it so it's like as as peaceful and as wonderful as this living environment we've crafted for ourselves is Danger is right there, and it it will not shut the fuck up either. <laughs> so it's, that alone would actually probably drive me nuts. Just like having mm-hmm. zombies constantly moaning and banging on the windows all day, every day, yeah, for the rest of my the, life. Being in the trenches, basically, you're just like you're sitting in there sleeping, but they're still bombing out there. They could start bombing at any time. It's just I mean, there's a reason there. why bombardment is a, a strategy. A strategy. <laughs> it, it drives people nuts, and it sometimes kills them. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, but um, yeah, this is where we get like the the big line um, that kind of sums up the Romero zombie movies. Um, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. It's such a good line. It that is. fucking. <laughs> It's a it's a wonderful line. Uh, it's delivered by Ken Forey, and he says it came from his grandpa, who was a priest in Trinidad. Yeah, I like this is kind of a thing where we we attribute some kind of supernatural element to to the movie, but it's just kind of vague. It's like, yeah, voodoo. My 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 grandfather, who was a voodoo guy in Trinidad, and like, okay, whatever. Well, um, I think I think that's a nod to the origins of zombie lore. I was gonna say that, and uh, I, God, what is the fucking old zombie? I walked with a zombie. Is that what it is? I can't think of what it is. is that yeah, I know, I, I know, think, I think so. zombie was one of the early ones too. Yeah, there's one called "I Walked with a Zombie," I believe. Yeah, I thought maybe it was a nod to that because uh, mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to take place in maybe Trinidad. I'm not positive. Yeah, it's it's generally thought of as like what a Caribbean lore, um, mm-hmm. the concept of taking a person and rendering them as zombie. Um, but yeah, uh, Roger is upstairs and he is not in a good way. Uh, he's thrashing around in bed. This is where we, uh, we administer some morphine to him to calm him down. By the way, we have a rope ladder to the office now. Uh, so as, as I mentioned earlier, we, we get like a progression of, uh, improvements made to their living space and that's a pretty good one. I mean, essentially we have a tree fort in a mall now and like the rope <laughs> ladder kind of completes the package. Um, but yeah, Roger has a tender moment with uh, Peter, um, wherein he he's kind of cradling him, and he says, "I don't want to be walking around like that." <laughs> As in, he he knows that he's probably going to turn into a zombie, but um, mm-hmm. he's kind of delirious here, both because he's wounded and because he's on morphine. Um, but he he like pleads with Peter, like, "Don't don't do it." As in, kill me until you're sure I'm coming back. Because I'm gonna yeah. try not to come back. I was like, "That's very sweet, but also very sad." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that though. That you know, this is so early on in zombie lore that the idea of a character saying, "I'm gonna try not to come back," is like a possibility. Like just thinking, "Oh, maybe if I try not to come back after I'm dead, maybe that'll work." <laughs> 
Yeah, we're so far into it. If I see a bloody sneeze from like a zombie or somebody who's infected, I'm like, well, you're fucking dead, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the thing. Uh, you know, wow, nobody ever thought to try not to come back. Wow, good job, uh, Roger. That's a good idea. No, if uh, if somebody comes into Kyle's camp with a hickey or something, it's like, bam! <laughs> it's like, I'm, gonna tight, I'm gonna run a tight ship. Yeah, it's like, how do I know she didn't break the skin? She makes explain these your call. Explain. <laughs> your call. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, uh, we get another interview scene with uh, Doctor Eyepatch, um, who is on TV, and holy shit, some of the stuff he is spouting here is pretty crazy. Now, I didn't understand what he was. Was he saying that we should feed the dead? Brad, do you want to help me out here? Because I think he said we should eat the dead. <laughs> that's what, okay, so that's what I thought. And Steph's like, no, I think he means feed the dead. So yeah, I was a little confused what he was getting at here. I'm trying to remember. I didn't take any notes for this speech, but wasn't he talking about like letting the zombies go, like go about their tasks or something like that? I'm trying to remember. And like, like don't try to stop them. Just let them burn out. Uh, he, I mean, he has a lot of shit to say here, but um. I want to say he said we should eat the zombies because food is going to be an issue at some point. He also proposes nuking all the cities uh, because that's where they're largely centered. And uh, he also throws out there that they won't run out of food while we're still alive. Mm -hmm. uh, as in, they we have a problem that they don't have to worry about. I got to I got to say part of the reason why I was a little distracted in this uh, sequence is the picture quality on their TV is just just top notch. Just the, yeah, they didn't add any, any static in uh, post or anything like that. You know, it's just like it looks like beautiful picture quality. <laughs> yeah, I caught that too. Yeah, <laughs> this I had to make a note. That's the note I made for this scene. <laughs> um, the uh, the thing I alluded to earlier, the uh, the shot that I'm I want to say the Resident Evil One remake uh, borrowed from this movie. It's a really good one. Um, during uh, the cross-cutting during this whole sequence because uh, we keep cutting back to reaction shots of all of our heroes like watching the tv and just looking disgusted and distraught uh, fran and flyboy in particular uh, we keep cross-cutting back and forth between their faces and the tv but we also splice in shots of ken forey watching the sheets in roger's bed and it starts to rise and the angles here are really cool where it's like straight on. So mm -hmm. it's like you're it's like you're at the other end of the room. It's like a POV shot. And you just see in the center of the frame this like shape starting to rise up from the sheets. And uh, the title screen for Resident Evil 1 remake has that. Uh, mm -hmm. And when you hit the start button, a bullet goes into the zombie's head and it falls back down. <laughs> um, just like <laughs> what happens here. Uh, because off screen, uh, we do get a reveal of Roger's zombified face, which very good makeup. Uh, it needed to be because it's the camera's right up in his face and he's an important mm -hmm. character. Um, very good makeup. And he has, I think, Kyle, you mentioned the Peter Berg and uh, Ethan mm -hmm. Hawke bone structure. It's perfect yeah. for, you know, looking like a dead person. <laughs> Sorry, the, Peter Berg. <laughs> the, this is a really good scene. I really feel like it was a missed opportunity, though, because the same year Halloween came out. And if you remember the shot of Jamie Lee Curtis up, like, upstairs in the bedroom and she just, like, thinks she's wounded Michael and he like perfectly sits up like a almost like stiff as a board um i thought that would have been really cool here if he was just like ken for was just kind of like like sitting there perfectly and you just get that shot like kind of uh kind of fuzzy in the background where it's out of focus and you just see him like sit up like that but that's okay it's all, it's all right this will, this will suffice I, I like it the way it is just because it, yeah. it pays respect to the character like peter 
all but said like you know i'm gonna keep an eye on you like he's holding vigil essentially like, like he's mm-hmm. waiting for this moment so I, it doesn't seem like something he would overlook and also the cross-cutting and all the noise coming from the tv just creates this really similar to the beginning of the movie with just all the people yelling over each other it just creates this tension in the room that's like it's when the gunshot finally happens it's almost like cathartic where it's like finally there's no more noise and we could be at peace for a second they have mm-hmm. the weirdest reaction to the gunshot almost because it, they almost react like they they didn't hear it it's it was really strange like they're not like startled by it or anything they're just kind of, like they weren't even expecting it really like they kind of knew it was coming but not at that moment and they they're not startled at all by it well, I'm pretty sure the way they did that cue was George Romero went bang. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't expect a genuine reaction from an old man with Coke bottle glasses going bang. <laughs> um, but we uh, we bury Roger in the garden, but not before Franny throws it out there. It's really all over, isn't it? It's like you know, Fran. It just it might, might be. be. Yeah. Um, but uh, we have another brief montage here where Fran and uh, Flyboy do some target practice on, on the ice. Probably not where you want to be standing if you're doing target practice because you might a little slide. dangerous. Yeah. yeah, a little dangerous. A little dangerous, but it might be like when you do planks on like a like a medicine ball or something like that. It's about stability, like you're activating <laughs> muscles that like you don't yeah. normally activate. So maybe it's like you're going to get good at shooting. If you're yeah, shooting if you shoot straight ice. on the ice, you'll shoot no problem on solid ground. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, Peter makes a candlelit dinner for the couple. And, uh, Which meanwhile is, though, yeah, it's, that's just adorable. That's really sweet of him to do that. I, I thought that was really, he's nice a good guy. Him. Yeah. He's yeah, a Peter, great guy. Yeah. Peter's a dude. He's a, he's a solid dude, but he makes a candlelit dinner for them and he excuses himself to go have a drink at Roger's grave. Um, which is again, very sad. And, uh, Steve, Steve, uh, pulls out a ring. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, how does that go, guys? Uh, Not good. <laughs> yeah, he gets shot the fuck down, um, which leads me to believe that you mentioned at the beginning when we were first introduced to them that this is his beau, like this is his girl. Um, they, they have a strange, like they had a strange energy uh, in that scene, and you're like, I'm not entirely sure they were together for very long before she got pregnant, which this scene kind of made me think, yeah, I don't think they were very close. And the mm-hmm. way, yeah, I don't really think they were in a very long-term relationship at that point. Yeah, I mean, they must have known each other because they both worked for the news station, yeah. right? So they would have at least known each other in some capacity. But yeah, it could have been just like a, you know, maybe it was the office Christmas party. Things got a little <laughs> out of hand and, you know, could have been something like that. Five date, no condom mistake. Like it <laughs> could have kind of gone bad. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't trust a man with hair like that to have the best of priorities when it comes, <laughs> when it comes to relating to other people. He doesn't wear condoms and he doesn't pull out. So yeah, <laughs> I mean that that eye roll he gives her when she asks for the gun is like Steve. <laughs> it's like, it's like geez, man, like step up. Um, but yeah, uh, she refuses. She says no. We can't, Stephen. Not now. It wouldn't be real. And. Uh, we, uh, my my note here reads verbatim. We apparently fucked, but it wasn't good. Stephen is yeah. Stephen is dead behind the eyes. Well, here's the other thing. Like when when uh, Ken Foray uh, like offers an abortion, he's like, "Hey, I can take care of that for you." Like 
think about this think about the world you live in now it's like man i really hope i don't have to choose between saving my wife and saving my kid at some point because that's what's going to happen <laughs> if you're in this world uh maybe she's just trying to avoid that like listen i don't want it to come down between the two of you guys so it's better if i just keep this for myself and you're gonna die yeah. soon anyway dude so it doesn't matter <laughs> You would have to say that. Like, you'd have to lean back in the door frame. And like, by the way, you're going to die soon. <laughs> like, just keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, uh, Steve is not in a good place. Um, and it is now dawn. And uh, this is where the, the uh, time jump that Brad had mentioned uh, occurs. Where uh, it is dawn, and then we cut the interior of the office. And Fran is showing now, as in she looks pregnant. And uh, our living quarters are fully furnished and made up. Mm -hmm. Like, we have all the furniture and all the nice appliances and whatnot. Um, and Peter is up up on the roof practicing tennis against a wall. And we get this really awesome cut where uh, he's getting his stress out and whatnot. And he whacks one of the balls. And it, it kind of bounces off the wall. And it tumbles off the roof. And it, the only noise we've had during this whole scene is him practicing and stuff. But then as soon as the ball falls off the roof, there's this orchestra sting, and all the zombies that were huddled up against the doors are exactly as they were. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we can tell that, like, we even see Fran, like, mark off days on a calendar, so we know it's probably been a few months or something. So a significant passage of time, but they're exactly where they were on day one. They just have a nicer apartment, basically. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so it's yeah. like, it's just it's like a... a it's a scary reminder. It's like, oh, shit, their situation hasn't improved at all. <laughs> yeah. It's a good reminder that they're still there, and it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of Chekhov's zombie. Like, you got those zombies out there. You know they're going to factor in somehow. They're not just going to wait out there until the end of the movie. Chekhov's mm -hmm. zombie. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, Fran gets dolled up, and I thought she was going to attempt suicide for a second because she's, like, doing her makeup, and she she's playing around with a fucking revolver. Like, uh, that, that's a weird combination. <laughs> yeah, I think this is where we're starting to uh, kind of get the cabin fever element of the film. And this is, oh, it, it's kind of abrupt. So you, that's why you're kind of confused with that scene. You're like, wait, what the fuck is she doing? Like, oh, they're getting stir crazy. That makes sense. No, it's mm -hmm. very effective. And I, like I said, Kyle, like hats off to you. This was an excellent choice to fit the theme for this month. Because this cabin fever portion of it is where it really starts to Rearman's mm -hmm. ugly head where it's like oh wow isolation is not good for anyone <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we started kicking in with the cabin fever this last week so oh no <laughs> <laughs> we, we pushed through it i think at this point but yeah it, it was starting to get tense <laughs> for uh, a yeah. couple days i mean in this movie you've got to think like they're surrounded by so much stuff like so many things to do so much you know products that people would want to buy in the normal world but they've been there for how many months now and they're already the joy has been completely fleeting yeah. so yeah um and peter and steve put on a record and have a drink and uh, we play some cards while fran is cooking and uh fran remarks that like turn off the tv nothing's been broadcast in like three days now and uh she and Steve gets another eye roll in here. <laughs> she turns off the TV and he turns it right back, right the fuck yeah. back on. It's very like catty. Yeah, he's almost like a little kid when he does it too. Uh, he just kind of like saunters over there, and looks at her as he does it. <laughs> Your move, ma. <laughs> um, but Fran has a, a very good line here as soon as the TV's back on. What have we done to ourselves? Um, alluding, mm -hmm. alluding to the effects of being isolated and what what one would think is some form of paradise. It's like, it's not. <laughs> um, and immediately we cut to loading up the chopper. 
and mm-hmm. uh, Steve teaches Fran how to pilot, uh, which is going to be very important here in like 10 minutes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of neat because when she lands the chopper, we have like the first genuine expression of joy that we've seen in a long time in this movie. Like she and Steve like share a moment where they laugh together. It's like, oh, that was actually, yeah. that's what fun is. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, you got to think, though, if, unfortunately for Steven, anybody who's watching this movie for the first time, once you see that he's teaching her how to fly the copter, it's like he just signed his death, uh, his death <laughs> yep. certificate. He's a, he's gone. He's a goner. So, I mean, let's face it, Steve. You're not a very good shot. You only have one other thing you bring to the table. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was, Stephen and I were like, we should take pilot lessons and then never teach anybody how to uh, fly because then like, oh, you should teach me how to fly. Uh, no, not going to do that. You keep me alive. That's your most yeah. important thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is where we get introduced to uh, Tom Savini and the Mustache Gang. Um, um, I'm sorry. We are abruptly... Like, for anybody that is a movie nerd who knows who Tom Savini is, he's very easy to pick out. Uh, so when he comes on screen, you're like, Savini! <laughs> like, that's definitely Savini! What's he doing here? I know he's a part of the movie, but I wasn't expecting him to be in it. Come on, sex machine! <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, they're introduced to us via binoculars. So just as Ken Forey had hinted at earlier in the movie, I think it was him. Uh, basically he mentions like we we should not use the chopper much because people might see it on the roof and and you know think of this as a place that they can shack up in um and sure enough they see the chopper landing and uh this guy puts down these uh binoculars and we get this bizarre exchange of dialogue where like tom sabine's like oh yeah so they take the trucks in it's like yeah they load everything up in trucks and then this shithead in this army helmet's like yeah trucks <laughs> it's, just, it's just this like weird revelatory tone where he's like yeah trucks like i never thought of that and uh, i dig that uh, tom savini has a mustache comb <laughs> it's cool it is cool <laughs> it's a spring-loaded stash comb um <laughs> And uh, yeah, basically this sets up the finale of the movie, which is a bunch of raiders attempt to contact them on the radio, which they do not reply to. They just listen in. Marauders. Uh, I feel like if we're in a post-apocalyptic, we're in the post-apocalyptic world, or the world is ending, we're marauders now. Um, they, they get upgraded. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we were talking about this. I'm like, a motorcycle would be a very bad vehicle to be driving in a situation like this where a zombie could just pop up out of nowhere and you're fucking done at that. I mean, you, you might still survive the crash, but you're probably going to get eaten at that point. Cause you're going to be concussed. Uh, motorcycle would be one of the last modes of transportation I would want in a world like this. Yeah. You got to think though, a guy who's got a mustache comb, he's all just worried about looking cool. That's, that's all he true. cares about. Maybe a pickup truck with a dirt bike in the bed as an option. Like if you have to, there like, you go go around if you need to be a little more agile like with the option but no not not going just straight up motorcycle no no helmet for sabini like he does he does a lot of uh, riding without a helmet that's for sure yeah i, I think at this point too like zombies no helmet if yeah. i <laughs> um but yeah these guys announce themselves basically and they roll down the road and uh good good production values here we get to see a lot of headlights on the on the road rolling up to the mall so they had that many motorcycles that's kind of cool 
I'm sure there's just a bunch of locals or something that they're just like, hey, anybody with a motorcycle want to get attacked by a zombie? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, right on, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an intimidating image, though, just imagining, like, seeing all these lights coming at you. Oh, yeah, and it also helps that, like, there's no street lights either. So it, it mm-hmm. makes this eerie image of just a whole bunch of single, like, one headlight for each vehicle. It's like, wow, that's a lot of lights. Um, but, yeah, uh, Peter ditches all of his jewelry and he puts his jumpsuit back on, which he hasn't been wearing since the early stages of the film. And uh, we, we get a straight up cavalry horn on the soundtrack as the as the bikers start attacking the mall and they they open with a pretty powerful salvo of uh, tossing grenades into a crowd of zombies. It's, it's a good way to start, yeah? <laughs> um, but yeah, the bikers get in in a hurry and they start looting and uh, I think the the editing and the choice of shots here, um, they do a good job of kind of like contrasting uh, how our heroes took over the mall earlier. Where like mm-hmm. our heroes kind of went about things in almost like a delicate fashion, like kind of like sticking to what they needed and and all that. And these guys, it's just a lot of close ups of just hands just snatching everything and just breaking shit. These are the last people you want to bump into when society has crumbled. Are these yeah. assholes? <laughs> Yeah, and we even get to see Tom Savini like tear jewelry off of a zombie, like a female yeah. zombie. It's like, damn, that's ballsy. Um, and we also get a, a montage of uh, pies being thrown in zombies' faces. Um, well, they well beeline it to the bank. They beeline it to the bank too for money. Like, guys, money. We don't need currency anymore. We we have other things to. We need fresh water. That's the currency now. Yeah, uh, they they raid the bank, and I think it's also Tom Savini yanks a wallet from a from the butt pocket of a zombie. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> why? You're just doing he that does, for yeah. fun now. Yeah. Um, but Flyboy uh, loses his damn mind, and he mutters to himself, "Like we we took it, it's ours." As in, like we put in all this hard work to like maintain this. Kyle, this kind of reminded me of the island a little, or the beach a little mm-hmm. bit, where it's like. This is this is like a small paradise that only functions because it's small, mm. and it's when it's when external elements come into the picture that it just gets completely upended. I don't think it's selfish to like in a situation like this where these people have taken over this mall and they're like, well, we want to keep our numbers down. They still have enough resources that they could take on more people. Um, however, you need to do it in small chunks, a couple people here, a couple people there. Uh, you don't want like fucking 30 shithead bikers coming in at one time. Like that's not, that's not, that's not good. Um, but yeah, in his, I understand his reaction is like, fuck these guys. Like they're, they're not even respecting, they're not respecting what we did here. And I would probably have the same reaction. I would be a little hostile as well. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, the cabin fever aspect of it is not to be denied. Like he's, I think we're, all of these characters have gone a little bit nuts and, uh, yeah, he starts shooting. He starts shooting at folks. Um, not terribly effectively, but he shoots at them. This is kind of one of the, the dumber decisions made by someone in a horror movie. It's subtle. Um, it's not like the dumb, like walking into the uh, swamp where the monster is, but like, yeah, just starting to shoot at marauders out of nowhere. I'm like, yeah, not, not wise, bro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they like all the marauders start chasing after him and whatnot and he does escape to the department store meanwhile tom savini uh does exactly what you had mentioned kyle uh, he gets yanked off of a bike he's okay though uh he's mm. a spry individual and uh this is when we get one of the better uh makeup effects in the movie this would be a machete to the fucking face <laughs> um, 
Uh, he puts a machete in in the center of a zombie's head. It's pretty mm-hmm. glorious. Mm-hmm. You have to imagine that Tom Savini was like, "I've got this great uh, makeup effect I can use, but I want to be the one to you know swing the machete. That's the only way I'm going to do it is if I get to do it." Well, in his defense, it probably take it like this effect probably took a long time to put the prosthetic on and actually you know complete this. He's like. If I sit there and explain to somebody exactly where it is, they still might miss it. But I know exactly how it needs to be done, so I'm mm-hmm. gonna do it. So it yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always the advantage of practical effects um, is that you have you have access to the person who knows who knows that product most intimately. Like you can ask, like, so how should I light this thing to make it not look like garbage, <laughs> as opposed to like a CGI situation where it's like, have we finished the model for this thing yet? It's like. No, not really. It's like, um, that's kind of a problem. This is like, well, I guess these are the shots you guys have to work with. It's like, oh, that doesn't work at all. It's like, well, figure it out. <laughs> it's already been shot and we can't get Chris Hemsworth back again. So it's like, um, but yeah, uh, we also get Tom Savini chopping the head off with a sword that apparently there's an Excalibur in this mall. Um, every mall should have an Excalibur. Um, but and also we smash some TVs for no reason. Um, it's actually kind of a weird little aside where the guy, a biker, is like hauling a TV, and they're like, "What are you gonna do with that?" And he's like, "Good point. I think I'll smash it." <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, this is where uh, Peter joins the fray, and he starts shooting at people, and he shoots Tom Savini's wine. That bastard. <laughs> that was rude. Yeah, that's very yeah. rude. And uh, the lights go out. And uh, Peter is having a little tussle with the marauders as they're chasing him. He, he manages to escape up his rope ladder. He takes it with him. And uh, Flyboy is trapped in an elevator, meanwhile. And uh, he loses his rifle um, because he gets startled when the elevator gets called. So he's he's almost in like an Emilio Estevez Mission Impossible situation. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he gets shot in the arm. And uh, they... Everybody just kind of leaves him there, though, to, I guess, presumably bleed out or something. And uh, this is where uh, I was calling him Sledgehammer Guy. I'm pretty sure this was Tom Savini's assistant, Tasso. Um, He does an arrow flim. He, he, like, swings on some, like, banners that are hanging from the the second floor of the mall. And he, like, swings and he clubs a zombie with his fucking sledgehammer. He's having a grand old time. And, uh, Kyle, there's there's a stabbing that happens here that's pretty awesome, right? Yeah, uh, it's kind of, I recently watched Gangs of New York, and there's a similar stabbing like that, where it's kind of abrupt, and you're not expecting it, but yeah, he gets a fucking, uh, Savini gets a neck stab, uh, but I like, I like uh, violence in movies like this, where um, there's no real build-up to it, and it's just kind of matter-of-fact, like, I'm just stabbing this person, or whatever, and I, it, it almost sticks out when it happens, and this was one of those times, and it's pretty fucking good, like, that knife mm-hmm. disappears, <laughs> it's gone yeah um unfortunately he doesn't get to bask in the glory of the moment very long because he does get shot by peter and uh, tom savini gets to do a high spot he gets to put a high spot on his uh, filmography that's kind of cool I, I, i'm pretty sure it was him <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if he got stunt credit um probably for that one now this is the part also where the guy uh gets eaten while on the blood pressure machine yeah correct idiot. which is I think it's a pretty uh pretty great moment when you know it cuts back to him and his entire body is gone and just the arm is just left there bleeding out. Oh yeah, it's maybe the most iconic death in this movie. Um, yeah, it's funny because I knew about this was like um 
uh, Top Gun uh, for me. There's an important character death in Top Gun that I was goose. Yeah, I was well aware of um, before I saw the movie because um, I overheard a conversation between my mom and my brother when I was really young. And I was like, "Oh, I can't wait to watch that movie. That's the one where so and so dies." And same same case with this one. It's like I know somebody gets off while they're in a blood pressure monitor, <laughs> but I don't know when or how it happens. And sure enough, it, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, "That's the thing." <laughs> Um, but yeah, on top of that, we also get a very cruel death um, where the bikers are making their exit and Peter sh- waits to shoot a guy until he's exited the building. So he's mm-hmm. on the back of a bike and he has a Tommy gun and Peter shoots him in the back, in the back as he's exiting the mall. And then he falls off and gets uh, consumed by zombies. It's like, damn, like you didn't just kill that guy. You like, you butchered him. <laughs> it's like. You could have hit him in the head, but no, you, you winged him and then let the zombies do their business. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck that and, dude. And uh, yeah. Is that the guy, I'm trying to remember, where they tear open his uh, stomach and pull out all the intestines? Mm, yeah. I believe, yeah, that's the I okay. believe it's yeah. him, and uh, I mean, there's a reason I was calling these guys like the mustache raiders, because a lot of them are mustachioed individuals. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's him, and it, a couple of guys are getting eviscerated, and it's pretty tasty. They, they mm-hmm. all look like different shades of Jim Croce. Like just, they all have like a moppy, moppy, floppy haircut and a big old mustache. Um, and we get uh, one of the more famous shots in the movie um, where basically Flyboy's trying to crawl up into the elevator shaft. I think it's the most it's the, it's the most uh, iconic shot from the film. I would yeah, say. it's basically elevator doors opening and a bunch of zombies like reaching out towards the camera. And something about the lensing of it, it has a really cool look to it. Mm-hmm. It's very startling. Well, it's at eye level. It's not like it, it's just perfectly right in front of you. So it's like it's happening to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's striking. It's one of the better shots in the movie. But um, Peter gets to overhear Flyboy being attacked by these zombies. And it's a really brutal moment, actually. It is. Like, mm-hmm. He's got like five zombies on him and he does fight them off. But it's like it's almost like death by a thousand cuts. Because it's just mm. this really slow, clumsy battle where he's he's not winning, but he's surviving, but he's not mortally <laughs> wounded or anything. Yeah, he probably didn't want to get it that way. Yeah, I think he gets a little bit of uh, like a cap on his character's arc of being like, you know, complete imbecile where he is able to, even though he does succumb to the zombies, he does, he gets a headshot in, he does eventually push them out of the elevator and he's kind of grown to be able to fight back, although be it when he's like on his last legs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really great character beat though, because like you said, it's like a personal victory for him where it's like he, he did win that fight. Unfortunately, he also got bit. Um, mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter anymore, but you know, he gets to go to his grave knowing, or his undead grave, um, knowing that uh, he he had a moment at least where he was he was the person he wanted to be. Yeah. Um, but Peter makes it back to Fran. He won't let her leave because he's like, you know, I heard guns, but that doesn't mean good things came of those guns. Um, and yeah, this is where the gonk comes into the picture. Uh, the gonk <laughs> is a wonderful piece of music it should be in essentially every movie um it's absolutely spectacular it's it's so silly it's so dumb i i think i read that it's in Shaun of the dead as like a tribute to this movie um but i haven't seen Shaun of the dead so i can't confirm that i think it is because i know i heard i've heard the the track before i saw this movie um so i'm i, I must be in there somewhere i'm trying to remember the scene but 
But anyway, the gonk plays over this montage of uh, zombies reclaiming the mall, and it's it's kind of startling how quickly like everything reverts back to the way it was. Uh, in fact, even worse um, than when our heroes first arrived. Um, and yeah, uh, we get the reveal of Zombie Steve, and I want to say that this is one of the most over the top, but also one of the most memorable zombie performances ever committed to film. Like, yeah, I, I think he's. I love the look of him. I love his limp. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I love the pistol on the finger, where he's he's not mm-hmm. gripping it. It's just like looped onto his trigger finger, and he just can't shake it off or doesn't want to. And uh, it, it, it looks fits like... his character too. It looks like the gonk happened in Shaun of the Dead when they're throwing records at the zombie in the uh, garden. Okay. Okay. Yep. Confirmed for gonk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really love that as soon as Steve is up and on his feet again, um, he does exactly like all the other zombies and does what he knows, as in heads back to the office. And uh, it needs to be said we we boarded up the the hallway in such a way that it's hit the entrance to the the office is hidden where it looks See, like a false wall. I saw them doing construction. I even wrote down they're doing construction. And it cuts to her having morning sickness. And I didn't see what they were doing. I was like, yeah, I'm sure they're doing some kind of something to help. I didn't notice this until he went through it. Did you guys notice that they put a fake wall up? We see the frame of it. Um, Ken Forey is in, a, he's in like an orange tank top and he's doing some sort of carpentry mm. with Steve um, while she's upstairs. Um, and he does. Yeah. there's a line of dialogue also saying, I want that door to look like it was never there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we don't actually see it get erected, but we get hinted at it. So we should be aware of it by now. But uh, yeah, Steve, unfortunately for our heroes, knows exactly where the false wall is. And he makes a beeline for it and even rallies some other zombies with him. And uh, they break through and uh, they get upstairs. And what comes of this situation? Um, well, like uh, they break in and uh, I'm, they kill Steven. Am I, am I correct in that? Oh, yeah. He, they... he gets blasted. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Fran says, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. She climbs up to the roof. But uh, Peter, he's he's defeated. He's He lost his two friends and he's wanting to stick behind. Yeah, this was an interesting character moment because he says, I, I, I don't want to go. And he urges her to leave without him. And uh, yeah, uh, she goes up to the chopper and he uh, the door is open now. Um, although I, I did think it was really funny. I don't, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but zombie Steve shuts the door behind himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's See, like, you know, in terms of like sense memories and stuff, it's like, you know, it seems like something a, a half conscious person would do. I thought maybe he had like a little bit of consciousness left to where he was like trying to protect them. It was like closing the door to keep them safe, but in doing so brought them up. But like, no, 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 he's just he's just a zombie now. Um, I do have a problem with this uh, this last scene. Uh, she climbs up the ladder uh, and gets up there. Um, how are these zombies getting up there? Do they have the upper body strength? Because there's a little bit of a climb to get yeah. from the ladder to there. I'm like, they, they need to at least be able to do a pull-up. And I don't think zombies can do pull-ups. Yeah, it, it does take a little bit to swallow that they'd be able to climb the ladder. Mm. Um on one of the news reports, we do hear that the zombies are able to use tools. Yes. They do mention that they can. So, I mean, you can kind of maybe say, okay, maybe, I mean, knowing us knowing how most zombies are portrayed now, it definitely feels like it doesn't make any sense. But maybe at the time you could think, okay, well, these things do have enough strength to do that. Well, okay. We did see one handle a tire iron earlier when it was coming after Roger. Um, and although rifle zombie making it up that ladder is a bit of a stretch because he never lets go of that rifle and yet he somehow gets up there. 
Um, but yeah, uh, Peter huddles in the back room. He he actually like walks right past the wall of rifles that they have mounted on the wall, and he just corners himself with the Derringer. And I guess the plan is he's intending to shoot himself. Meanwhile, Fran is starting up the chopper. But then uh, Peter comes to his senses, and yeah. the, the music. <laughs> the music that kicks into high gear it's almost like the captain america theme or something it's, yeah <laughs> it is pretty heroic uh, last last little bit of music yeah it almost feels like uh, these italian composers thinking like oh we got to have a, you know just a really great american theme here like people will love that it's like well you know yeah maybe it went a little too much on it but it's i i i found it triumphant just because i liked ken forey's character so much that you know you do feel glad that he lives to fight another day like he's sitting in the movie making like a superman yeah, exactly <laughs> but yeah he uh he muscles his way through these zombies like he lays waste to some to some zombies he even does like a a snap kick on one of them <laughs> like, he does like a borderline crane kick to one of them um but yeah uh long story short he gets to the chopper um last bit of comedy here is where he exchanges rifles with rifle zombie <laughs> and rifle zombie leaves him alone after that by the way there's a weird moment where a, a zombie caresses roger's face um during the truck scene where it doesn't mm. grab him it just like rubs his cheek like lovingly <laughs> and then he, he looks at it in disgust and runs off um but yeah we flee together we don't have much fuel left and uh the film is closed out um by an uncertain future for our heroes and the gonk playing over the yeah. credits and the zombies milling about the mall, complete with groaning noises on the soundtrack, which are actually kind of chilling. Mm-hmm. I love that last exchange of dialogue, too. It's just so matter-of-fact. It's just, how much fuel do we have? Not much. Well, all right. And they just fly off. Yeah, that's the end of their story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, this was an excellent choice, Kyle. Um, good good pick for Isolation Month. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Glad it worked out. Yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed it because you were the you were the only person that's seeing this for the first time. Yeah, it's kind of like reading Lord of the Rings. Like I feel like I need to do it. Uh, I'm almost finished with the third book, but my they've already thrown the ring into uh, Mount Doom. So like now it's just like oh my god, finish the book. Like <laughs> I have to I have to complete it so that I can say I've read the original trilogy. I've read the books. So mm-hmm. um, this was uh, this was good. A uh, little, little, little more slow than I'm used to. Um, I think it bookends really well. I think the beginning um, sets it up really nice. There's some fun in the middle, and then the ending. Uh, I really like the ending of the movie. Um, but yeah, uh, I'd recommend it to anybody who has an affinity for um, practical effects, zombie movies, horror movies in general. I think it's one you need to see. Yeah, Brad. What are your what are your, what are your thoughts in summation about Dawn of the Dead? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the film. It's you know, it's got its uh, rough edges, partly because of the budget, and it, you know, it is a little slow at times. But I think it's certainly iconic, and I, I do find it uh, extremely watchable. And I mean, the fact that I just watched it a couple of years ago, and I watched it now, and I still really enjoyed it. I mean, I think that definitely speaks volumes. Yeah, I, I really dig that it has a, a breezy feel to it. Like it. This is very much like a hangout kind of movie. It's like mm-hmm. I, I like that you don't have to be super engaged in the watching of it. Like you can just kind of like go about like cooking dinner or whatever and look up and just be like, there's not really many bad moments in this movie. It's mostly an enjoyable film, and I think enjoyable is the right word because like it is scary, it is unsettling at times, but for the most part, it's just like a fun observation of like four characters trying to survive a really difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, I, I still maintain, I think, Day of the Dead is my favorite of uh, the Romero movies. Although, I guess I should check out the, the lesser two entries and, and the later two entries. Um, Brad's making a face telling me, nah, you're okay. I mean, <laughs> you probably don't need to, but I mean, if you're a completionist. I, I am in most cases, but I, I don't know, man. I heard some bad shit about Diary of the Dead. <laughs> The only thing I remember about Diary of the Dead is I believe there's a scene where they take those, uh, like, the um, in a hospital, those the paddles to, you know, wake somebody up. And they uh, kill a zombie by putting it on either side of its head and just, like, frying it. It's the only part of the movie I remember. Is it, like, from perspective, too? Like, are we right up in the zombie's face when the defibrillator paddles are on its head? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, the whole movie's found footage, so I think it's uh, the person holding the camera is a little removed from the scene. Mm. I, I don't know if defibrillator to the head is enough for me, but maybe someday. Um, yeah. <laughs> that being said, uh, thank you so much for joining us again, Brad. Um, do you want to let the folks that know at home uh, know where they can find you? Yeah, uh, Cinema Speak Podcast, really, wherever you find podcasts, you can search for us. Um, we're on Twitter, at the Cinema Speak, on Instagram, Cinema Speak Podcast, and uh, you can go on cinemaspeak.libsyn.com as well to find us. Very nice. Uh, well, uh, that brings it close to stay the fucking side month. I'm not sure what we're going to be doing uh, for the month of May. Uh, maybe an event, maybe not. Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully we can all collaborate again sometime, Brad. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.